Three, two, one, boom. It's a social engineer show. Today we've got Nikel in the building. How um, are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm really good. I really appreciate you taking the time to come. I know you're really busy. Um, <laughs> you're quite an interesting guest as well. Um, I've looked at the stuff that you're putting out online and it's uh, loads of like psychological sort of stuff and yeah, mental health based stuff. So um, could you give a bit of an introduction? Tell us like, what kind of stuff you do. Yeah, so I currently am a trainee associate psychologist. Um, and I also do psychoeducation, which is basically like teaching people about psychology. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's it. I'm doing my second master's right now as well. Okay. What kind of stuff does that entail, like the job role? Um, so basically, I assess people for their mental health. This mm. Yeah. I assess people with their mental health. And then I do something called a formulation. So it's kind of like going through what happened to them. How can I help? And then I do treatment, which is in the form of therapy. Mm. So how would you typically assess somebody for their mental health? Um, so I usually use CBT, but that's because that's the modality that I'm most comfortable with. What does that stand for? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Um, and we have like a structured assessment. It depends on what they're struggling with. So let's say, for example, um, they're struggling with depression. I might do like one that's more depression specific. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how the assessment goes. Is it like a questionnaire sort of thing? You just go through... Uh, set questions and then no so on. i don't do there are assessments that are like that like especially yeah. um ones that are like learning disabilities like autism stuff like that um but most of the assessments i do are very based on like kind of just having a normal chat like i don't want it to be like you sit there and i'm gonna diagnose you it's more like mm. a like how have we got here like what can we do to help we talk about like your past like any childhood traumas like what led you to this moment mm. and what do this is a service you to think we can do to help okay so is it like private so somebody will check themselves in or is it no, no no so i work for the nhs okay um so i work in an acute inpatient unit which means that they are sectioned okay so yeah one of my friends uh, uh an old friend i haven't seen him for a really long time yeah he got sectioned um because he never slept for about eight days or something oh, have you had anything like that happen yeah that's really common and a lot of people can't sleep like it might be that they're struggling with hearing voices or they're like severely depressed um so yeah sleep is like a really big a lot of people can't sleep mm. have you had any um issues with this sort of like m mental health stuff uh, is that what made you get into it or um so yes and no like when i was younger mm. i would say that i kind of struggled with anxiety but i didn't know what it was and i was a bit like what is wrong with me? Like, I don't understand. Why do I feel nervous? But no one spoke about mental health to me. So I just didn't really understand it. Then when I went to college and I learned about psychology and like they were doing anxiety, depression, I was like, oh my gosh, like this sounds a bit like me. Mm. Um, so that's one reason. Um, and then the second reason was just like from young, I've always had my friends come up to me and be like, oh, like I'm going through this. And I thought like I was the agony aunt. Mm. Then I realized there could be a career, obviously not as the agony aunt, but some sort of career in terms of like helping people through talking out problems mm. and I was like this is this is very much me like a year ago when I got into this course I found like this book that I drew when I was like 10 and it was like when I'm older I want to be a counsellor and then now like I'm not a counsellor but it's a very similar profession in terms of like helping people and I'd put a note saying oh turn that frown upside down let's talk about it mm. and now like my career is very much talking about it and helping people to yeah be happier okay it seems like it's quite heavy is it would it be quite taxing like uh talking to, to people going through yeah it is these issues it is quite taxing but every week you have this thing called supervision and it's basically like 
learning about different stuff like you might have a patient and you don't know what to do with them so you go to your supervisor every week and you discuss it and you say like I'm really struggling with this but you can also go to your supervisor and say I'm really struggling like I can't take this anymore or like my caseload is too big or this specific topic really upset me and I'm struggling with working with that person so there are like outlets for it and also as a therapist you should be in therapy yeah I've heard Um, so there are like ways to to let it go but it is heavy sometimes Mm. do you ever feel like you take the stress home with you after like a really hard day yes I definitely take the stress home um I'm doing I do better now like I'm quite boundaried but I think sometimes people think oh like your therapist like they're there for the 50 minutes and then they don't care and like it's just the next person but like sometimes we think about that person for like even when it's ended like Mm. it could be the next year we might see something can be like wow that reminded me of xyz so but I feel like it's part of human nature rather than that I'm like taking the burden home. It's more just mm. out of, I've just heard everything you're going through and it's sad. Yeah. Usually what happens for people to get to the level of like being sectioned and really needing help is that they would have gone for a period of struggling for a long time and they didn't get the help they needed, whether they asked for the help and didn't receive it or they just didn't ask for the help. So it's that you've gotten to a point where you need help before you get to that point that you're now sectioned and you're like going to cause harm to yourself or someone else. Cause that's the only reason that you'd be sectioned if you're at mm. harm to yourself or someone else. So just before that point, it's time to like try to get some help, try and elicit care in whatever way that you can. What type of um, help would somebody who's not trying to harm anybody or trying to harm themselves, but they're just feeling like everything's getting a bit heavy. Um, yeah. What kind of help would they be seeking or what would you advise that they seek? So I would advise things like, so there's a thing called point of access or like first point of access and it's open 24 hours. Every borough has one. And it's like, you could just speak to someone that you do not know about your difficulties, but they are linked to your, like the NHS. So they can make like a file of all the things that you're struggling with and help to kind of formulate a plan with you. So that's one thing. Or you can call places like Samaritans, like if you're young, young minds, and that's completely confidential. Nobody knows about that, but they will give you advice on what to do with your like specific situation. Mm. So it depends on like which one you feel comfortable with. Some people are like, actually, yeah, I want someone to help me with a plan with my doctors, with everyone, so that I don't have to go through this. But some people are like, I'm not at that point yet, and I just want to talk to someone about it, but not that is linked to anyone that I know. Mm. There's probably a bit of a stigma around it as well where people don't want to admit that they're struggling in it so they just kind of keep it to themselves. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, um, yeah, I think especially with men, I'm not, this is quite mm. interesting. Um, would you say that there's a lot of men or would you say it's more women that you see? So I actually work on two wards and one is just men and okay. one is just women. So I can't say specifically that I have like a disproportionate caseload. Mm. But I would say that I do find it, I feel like the men struggle to ask for the help. Mm. It's usually that if anyone's ever come up to me and asked me like, who are you? What's your job? It's usually women. Mm. I feel like the men, I have to go up to them and say like, hey, let's have a chat. Let's just grab a hot drink. Let's talk like, what's up? Mm. Whereas women are more like, oh, like, who are you? I want to speak to the psychologist kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. What would you say the difference between someone who is just stressed out like everyone gets and where you actually need help? Where you feel like you can't cope. 
So where, where like, because yeah, everyone goes through stresses in life, but where it feels like I can't even get out of bed. Mm. I can't do anything. I'm not enjoying anything anymore. Things that I usually would do or usually would enjoy, I can't do and I can't enjoy. That's when the stress has become too much. And that usually too much stress leads to burnout. And that's what that more sounds like. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel about medication and stuff like that? Is, is Are you an advocate for it? Or you know what? Someone really? asked me that, mm. like, what do you think about medication? Why don't you become a psychiatrist? I do agree with medication. I think like if there is something that can help you that is like safe, then you should take that. But I also don't agree with medication alone. I feel like there should be like a combination of the two. Like, so there's something called like the biopsychosocial model. It's like the biological model, psychological model, social model. I feel like we need to take all of it into perspective. It needs to be a holistic thing. So yes, your medication, but also therapy, but also looking at like society around you, what's going on, your environment. Like it needs to be everything, not just one. Let's say, for example, someone has um, depression and it runs in their family. So that would come under like biological. But then also they might be in an environment that also breeds them to feel more depressed so we need to look at the environment like their friends or something yeah things like that or just um they might be in like really stressful situations maybe they're working like five jobs and life is just super stressful we also need to look at that and then like psychological it might be the way that they cope like their threat responses might be like really big and they're just always like thinking about like something's a threat something's a threat and they need to always do something about it so we need to look at like that as well so it's a whole holistic thing it's not just let's just look at the family history we need to look at everything all together mm. i don't know if that makes sense but yeah it makes sense anytime when i've been feeling like low or feeling like things are getting a bit on top um i'm always like i always find that when i focus on something like mm. um a job or uh whatever i focus on the show for example or yeah. i focus on um that I work as an engineer, so if I focus on like my career, then I'm able to not really think about it, and it kind of just gets pushed to the back, and then before I know it, I'm not even, I don't feel the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed that a lot of people don't do that, so I, I don't know if that's maybe not the best way of coping with it, or like, what would you say about that, someone who just kind of ignores when they're feeling low, and they're just, they kind of just crack on with something else? I think it depends on the reason why you're feeling low, mm. because we can't so there's there is distraction techniques and obviously that is great because that helps you to feel okay and if it's something that you can get over then it's then that's a great strategy but if it's something that is traumatic for you that's made you feel low and you just keep putting it to the back of your mind keep putting it to the back of your mind like eventually this will all come up mm. because you can't keep forcing it to be at the back of your mind all the time like eventually you will need to you know deal with it. it yeah would you say that the best way of dealing with it is speaking about it until it doesn't bother you anymore? It Again, it kind of depends on what the thing is. Because, like, for example, today, like, I had a patient and she really wants to talk about her trauma, but we can't just talk about trauma straight away because that's re-traumatizing. So you need to be in a stable situation before now we speak about the trauma that's making you upset. Do you see what I mean? So... Yeah, it it kind of depends on what it is and like what's making you sad. Like, can we do a distraction technique until you can deal with what's making you sad or 
is the distraction technique enough or like do we need to figure out what's this underlying issue that's going on mm. have you heard of someone called jordan b peterson no. um he was basically saying something along the lines of if your life is really difficult like if loads of things are are going on in your life and you're feeling depressed because of all of the factors in your life mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a reason to uh, that doesn't mean there's anything necessarily wrong with you probably most people in that exact same situation would feel the exact same way so it's probably just a normal response to how to the things that you're going through Definitely. but if if everything seems to be okay and there's no real reason why you're feeling low then maybe it's like a chemical imbalance or something Had, mm. what do you think about that theory I agree with it up until the part of if everything seems to be okay because chemical imbalance like that is a tricky one because it's kind of something that is really deep rooted in psychiatry and like medical terms but in today's world of psychology there's not really much of like a chemical imbalance that that we speak about it usually is that even if everything seems okay what is okay for one isn't okay for the other Mm. so I get like you know, of course, like if someone's experiencing poverty and then racism and then like, I don't know, they've just had a breakup that to the normal person that seems like that's the reason to be depressed. Mm. But there doesn't really need to be a specific reason for depression. Like somebody could just be depressed and it doesn't have to be so linked to all of these things. Say, for example, they have like a great career. They have a great family life. Um everything's going well but they still just don't want to get out of bed he was basically saying that 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 sort of thing might be to do with your serotonin levels or something along them lines and it's probably best to take medication to kind of balance out the the chemistry in your body or something yeah and like to a certain extent yeah i agree with that but it's also about they might not know how to cope with the feelings that they're going through whereas even though they have a great job and a seemingly great life they don't have the tools to manage what they're going through at this present moment. Whereas someone else that's going through that same thing might know how to deal with that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it can, it's different for different people and yeah. it's not like a straightforward answer. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. Do you ever feel like maybe it's um, like it's too heavy? Like, do you, Or is it just you're really passionate about it and it doesn't get to you that much? No, it definitely gets to me mm. because I'm like very naturally empathetic. Mm. So sometimes I do struggle and I'll be like, shit, like this is, this is horrible. Like Mm. someone will tell me all of these really traumatic experiences and I'm like, oh my gosh, like no wonder you're, you're like sad or depressed. I would be too. Mm. Um, But I guess it's figuring out ways to, to manage it. I was talking to somebody the other day, um, some guy called Rich and um, he was saying that he's struggled a lot with panic attacks and um, mental health issues and, yeah, I didn't really know what to say to him. I just more was listening to his experience. And I think he's got a good grasp on it now because yeah. um, he spoke to probably someone like you as well that mm. uh, has kind of helped him through it. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, uh, it's definitely a valuable thing for society to have people that understand all of this stuff to help people out. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned in this job, and it took me like, even now I feel like I'm still learning, but sometimes you actually don't need to say anything. Like no one is looking for you to say like, oh, that's really sad or here's the solution. Like sometimes people just want to get off their chest mm. and for you to just like be there, like to, to feel like you're sharing the burden. Mm. But it's not necessarily that you have to be like, oh, well, I know this and I know that. And like, you should try this, you should try that. Like sometimes silence 
which I find really hard in my sessions, mm. but they teach us actually sometimes just be silent. Like they'll be like count to 10 and just, just be silent with them because you don't need to respond. So mm. I guess people can take that away. <laughs> Do you ever have to deal with somebody who, or speak with somebody who's like particularly socially awkward or something or they can't mm. really communicate? Yeah, I deal with social anxiety quite a lot. Um, but it, social anxiety varies like person to person and a lot of the time social anxiety is actually within how you feel rather than how you're portraying yourself do you see what I mean so it would be that the person is thinking like oh my gosh like what if she's thinking this what if she's thinking that but on the surface they look okay mm. so it's not it's not too tricky is there anything that before you started this career path yeah. that you you didn't know about but once you started it 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 just like it was like a hidden element to the industry basically that you didn't know beforehand and you kind of had to get to grips with once getting into this uh, career mm. i don't think i don't know if this if i'm answering your question properly but i don't think i knew as many men struggled with mental health okay. and i don't think i knew that as many black people struggle with mental health. Mm. These are the two things that I never, when I went into the field and I saw quite a few men, quite a few young men actually, quite a few black people, I thought, oh, this is strange because in the movies, it's usually like, you know, a white girl crying and that, I just didn't link mental health with mm. black people or men. So that was like an eye opener for me. Would you say it's disproportionately black men yeah or, absolutely yeah okay absolutely yeah. it's really sad that's really interesting why do you think that is um oh <laughs> i feel like there is a lot of unconscious biases um that make people think that black men are like really dangerous really scary and like i said you're sectioned because you are either a harm to yourself or a harm to society so these men are usually sectioned because people think that they're a harm to society. Mm. And also in these, so like the NHS is kind of ran, um, ranked with banding. So it's like you're a band two, you're a band three, whatever. What does um, that mean? So band two and three is usually like HCA, so healthcare assistants and support workers. Um, you can be a band four, but not really. Band four is usually like admin. There's not really many band fours like on the floor or assistant psychologists. But then band five and six is usually nurses. Nurses are usually band five, but they can be band sixes. But from band six upwards, that's like the psychologists, the psychiatrists, people that are making these bigger decisions and they usually aren't black. Mm. And then, so I feel like there is a very big misunderstanding between the person that's putting them there, which usually isn't a black person, and then the person that's being there, which usually it would be like a black man. Mm. And they don't understand, like, this man's not going to harm me. So it, with their unconscious biases, they're like, it's a dangerous black man. He needs to be sectioned. And that is that happens quite regularly. Okay. So is it like the things that the guy's doing, if another race or another gender done the same thing, they wouldn't be seen as uh, like a threat sort of thing? Yeah. So, like, for example, let's use psychosis um, because black men are a lot more likely to be diagnosed with psychosis too. So we'll go with that. Psychosis can be really scary because it might be that they're hallucinating or they're hearing voices. 
let's go over hearing voices like imagine hearing voices like and you can't see these people you don't know what's going on they might be saying some really like horrible stuff it might be really scary and I don't know you're screaming or like you might be punching the walls to be like leave me alone like what's going on and this is a really confusing time usually the black man is seen as like shit why is he punching the walls like he he's gonna come and kill us do you know what I mean Mm. and it seems like he's more aggressive but when it's like a white man it might be seen as like oh like what's going on like this is a little bit scary but maybe not like he's gonna kill me kind of vibe Mm. and so it's less likely for him to be sectioned than it is for the black man to be sectioned Mm. and when there's no black people in in the decision making stages so band six up then who is there to say no 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 he's he's not scary he's scared Mm. um and you do see a lot I think anyone punching the walls is going to be like, you're going to be a bit, well, me anyway, I'm going to yeah, be yeah, of course. A bit standoffish because it's like they're punching the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, of course, of course. But I mean it in the sense of you might be scared, like mm, what's going on, but not scared enough to section them. Mm. When you section someone, ultimately, no matter how you think of it, you're, you're taking away that freedom. Mm. You're putting them in a hospital. They cannot leave and they are under your control. So you have to be very sure that that's what you want to do before you do that because you're taking away someone's freedom. Mm. But yet it's disproportionate between a black man and a white man or a black man and a white woman Mm. or whoever because the black man is seen as scarier, like more harm to society Mm. than the white man. That's just like, oh, this is a bit scary, but I'm not scared of him. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. I think a big part of the fear, it might just my um perception anyway a big part of the fear would be the unpredictability of it mm. the fact that i didn't expect you to be punching a wall and now it's like so that was completely unpredictable it's yeah, like yeah. I, w- I would expect like to have a regular argument or something and then you've but you've gone and punched the wall because even maybe this is not the same thing but sometimes you'll be speaking with somebody and then they'll get so angry that they feel like punching a wall or something yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it's like it, it's just not what you expect, isn't it? No, of it's, course not. So course because not. it's the the random element, maybe that's what scares people. Because I think that would make me feel like, I, do I even want to continue this conversation? This person's just punched the wall or something along them lines. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. Yeah, it's just the unpredictability. Like we, I think we're all kind of playing a game, like uh, a game in society where we're kind of all acting civil mm. and. Um, we're playing by the rules of like not scaring each other. Yeah, but no. then when somebody does def- something, that's something like, random, then it's yeah. just like, you don't know where you stand anymore. And you don't know what's going to happen. Is it going to just randomly escalate into a fight? Yeah, so, no, I get that. But yeah, um, no, but that is, that is really interesting what you're saying about um, it being disproportionately black men. I would have thought it would be the opposite because I would have thought men in general, uh, to, in my opinion, would, um, like keep this like just keep it to themselves and try to like hold it in as much as they can and but as you said it probably gets to a point where it just explodes isn't it yeah because that that Mm. is the problem Mm. that is why like for example suicide amongst men am i gonna say that on it uh yeah okay i think so as long as we're not advocating for it no 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 of course not um suicide across men especially like middle-aged man like they are three quarters of suicide Mm. and that's usually because like I was saying, at before that point of crisis, no one—they're not. No one's asking for help, so that means that you're struggling alone. 
Yeah. And so that's what that's what would lead to such high statistics in men. Mm. Um, yeah. Whereas women are more likely to ask for that help before that crisis. Mm. Do you think it's because women are more um, social and men are more like so they more talk about everything, good things and bad things, whereas men, they just don't talk to anybody a lot? Yeah, I guess it's like the setup of like from young, I guess women do speak to their like other female friends or in general um, about like good things, about bad things, whereas in general men kind of hold it back, keep it to themselves kind of thing. Um, I feel like it's a like more societal construct kind of thing in terms of like men are conditioned to think like I need to be this this man and like I can't show that I'm like weak by crying or being sad so so they're kind of just holding it in and not expressing how they feel Mm. which for me I just feel like or I know actually that that's not sustainable you can't no one no one can always be happy or always be do you know what I mean like Mm. moods fluctuate emotions are everywhere you can't just be happy Mm. but men hold that a lot of the time i think it's with men anyway it's less about being happy and more about being strong so mm-hmm. even if they're not happy then they, they can be angry or or not happy about something but they and they don't feel like that's a weakness but if they cry then they feel like they've like broken or something emotionally mm-hmm. broken they feel like they i don't know they're letting down the people that rely on them to be the strong figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is the problem. Like, and that is, I guess, the social construct that we need to battle because it is strong to ask for help. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Like, strong doesn't necessarily have to be like, let me bottle this all in and, and not tell anyone I'm going to deal with this myself. Strong is knowing that to society it might seem a bit like weak or whatever to ask for help and still asking for help because you know that you need it. That is the strong element. Mm. But I feel like this conversation or this this part of this isn't always translated to a lot of men. And so they hold it in. Do you think that is purely a socialised thing where they've just learned it from the social dynamics rather than it's just what they are? Like they are less emotional? Um, well, obviously there are like differences in hormones, things like that. So there can be many reasons why women are more emotional than men. Um, even things like, I don't know, like PCOS, which is like a means. it's like a gynae like condition that a lot of women have. It's actually one in four, I believe. Gynae, what does that mean? Oh, like a, gy- a gynecological, okay. like a women problem. I'm just going to call it women mm. problems. <laughs> um, but that can like really affect mood. That can make women really emotional. Mm. So that's just an example of things that can affect We'll call it. We'll say cisgendered women that can't affect cisgendered men. Do you see okay. what I mean? So there are like factors that are going to make women more emotional or whatever. But overall, I do feel like a lot of it is to do with society and how men from from a baby like people buy you blue and people give you trucks and people like all these like male things. And I'm not saying I'm against it, mm. but it it always like plays out it plays out from when you go to secondary school like when you go to work like this is it's just always a thing of like men need to be this way Mm. i was um talking to someone the other day about this um i'm scared (laughs) (laughs) and um and i was basically um 
saying that I think men are like a, a man's path is way more rigid than a woman's path. So I don't think most people care whether their daughter plays with boys' toys. Mm. I think they wouldn't mind if 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 their daughter wants to um, play football or their daughter wants to play with trucks or whatever. Um, I don't think most people mind, but I think there are a lot of men who would not let their boy play with girls' toys mm. or be like a like I don't know, be into I don't know whatever the opposite of trucks is. Like, no, I get what mm. you mean. Like a little a Barbie or dressing up yeah. in like fairy clothes. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I do feel like what's the threat? Like, what? I feel like some men see it as a threat, but a threat mm. to what? Me personally. I wouldn't want my son to play with um, anything <laughs> that's like not um, that's not uh, in line with what I want him to be. And mm. what I want him to be is brave and strong and um, protecting his sisters, his mother, whoever. I want him to be like, I, I feel like he's got a job. And I think that's what a lot of men feel like, even though like nowadays you're not really allowed to say it. But okay. I feel like a lot of men want their son. There's a job already, like for his son, in it, mm. like what he has to be. Mm-hmm. He basically has to be strong. And if there's anything that's making him too like in touch with his emotions, <laughs> then they're, they're just like, yeah, I don't know about this. Uh, it's just not what they want. But I, like, I get both arguments. I just, but I just think that with, as I said, with uh, young girls. There is no particular role that they have to do. You just really just want them to be happy. Yeah. But I think that's kind of how guys see it anyway, because they're trying to look after the women that they care about, mm. uh, the, their daughters, sisters, their mum. Like they're just very protective of the opposite sex. And with, uh, but they when they see when they have a son, mm-hmm. they see like okay, here's here's another guy to help me protect or whatever. I, to help me to be part of the protection team in it but i don't know what do you think about all of that i just i do hear it like mm. i do understand and i don't want to ever take away from because this is a lot of people's points of view so mm. i'm never going to take away from it i'm sure like there's many people in my family that are going to agree and all of this stuff but i think it's just because it is what's your view of strong like what is mm. your view of brave what like if you really boil down to the to what these things are then does that equal him being like masculine do you see what i mean yeah like for example like women are brave like they have they have babies and that's that's scary or um like women can be strong or like all of these things you see what i mean but it's because we're conditioned to think of strong as masculine and muscly and Mm. like physically strong or brave to think of like you know, if someone's daughter was being hit, for example, like you'd want the son to go and beat up the man. Mm. But how about being strong in terms of being there for your sister emotionally and helping her get through whatever she was going through? Do you see what I mean? But meanwhile, not physically helping her. Is that is that what you're well, suggesting? Well, I feel like in in a lot of situations where women are like abused or something, because it is one in three women are abused. So that, that is a lot of women, right? Do you I'm know sh- the stats on how many no, men that is, are that abused? Is, no, I don't know the stats on how many men are I abused. don't either. I just no, I don't. Them. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> but I do know that I'm pretty sure a lot of that one in three women would want 
emotional support more than their brother or their dad to go and beat up the man that did it. Because whilst he's been beaten up, and I'm not disagreeing with the beaten up, <laughs> but whilst he's been beaten up, that woman is still sad. Mm. So how about we're strong for her in emotionally, it's psychologically, rather than physically beating up this man because he's still done it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is just my example of like, you know, I'm sure there's like many mm. different things that you want your son to be like physically strong for, like brave. But these are kind of things that I think a lot of men don't think about. They just think of like, I need to protect her physically. Mm. But sometimes that's, that isn't what someone needs. Mm. I just think that one of the things that m makes a man a man mm -hmm. is the fact that he doesn't have a baby. And one of the things that makes a woman a woman is the fact that she can produce a child. Mm. Now, obviously we're living in a different time right now where people have all different views on that, that, that fundamental year. But mm -hmm. the fact that women can have children means that there's, there's going to be a time where they have, they have a baby inside of them. Mm -hmm. So, the man that never has a baby inside of him, he needs to be able to protect the woman. It's like, they, I feel like it's a biological necessity that he is like, he is the way he is. Because if she's, if she's heavily pregnant mm -hmm. and she now has to fight somebody, that's probably going to affect the baby. Like if she has to do, even if she lifts up something really heavy, that it can give a, make her have a miscarriage or something along them lines. It's like, she needs to, be kind of looked after during this period of time and it's it's like it's essential for human progression like for the human race to continue mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she needs to be like able to have the child without having to do loads of strenuous activity having to fight off random people trying to break in or whatever it is so he would so a man would need to be able to protect her i feel like that's just kind of what humans are yeah. And um not I'm not I'm not saying every woman has to have a child, but I'm just saying in the the most common case where because everybody who's alive was born of a man and a woman. Yeah, yeah. So if so at some point their mum was quite vulnerable mm -hmm. because she's she's heavily pregnant and even after having the baby, it's not like she's it's like quite a strenuous thing. It's quite, it's like she's been through this whole thing and she's had a child. Mm -hmm. She's got a brand new baby. That's like very dependent. Like babies are like, there's a lot of animals where when they're born, they're just walking straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But babies are not like that. They need to be looked after for a long time mm -hmm. before they can even do anything before they can even survive by themselves. And um, so men need to be able to protect the wife and the child. Mm hmm just as a biological necessity. So I think because of that, we just, we have certain characteristics that are not necessarily uh, politically correct or not necessarily um, the most um, palatable, mm. but we just are what we are based on survival, based on the survival of the human race. No, I do get, I do get you because I feel like how I would want my set up to be would be for the man to I suppose take on the more like masculine roles but then also on the flip side when we speak about protection and like you know the woman fighting off someone if she's pregnant like it is more likely that the protection she needs is from things like stress 
or like postnatal depression, postnatal psychosis, postnatal anxiety. This is much more of a common thing that she needs protecting from than her being beaten up in the street when she's pregnant. I'm not saying she can't be beaten up in the street when she's pregnant or need like somebody to physically bat off someone, I don't know. But psychological and emotional problems are a lot more likely to happen. That is what she needs protection from. But I think... I agree that 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 probably is a lot more likely, but mm-hmm. I think it's a lot more likely based on the level of society that we're in, where it's like where everything is is so sophisticated, so um, advanced. Where you we have such a thing as a police department, mm-hmm. we have such a thing as um, locks on our doors, we have like loads of things where it's like society is brought to such a level where it's it's so safe, it's it's much safer than all of human history yeah, yeah but if you imagine just the pure basic level of what we are biologically mm-hmm. there would be there would be many times where let's say you're living in like some cave or something or no, you're living yeah. in some some woods or something yeah the man would have the to man be. has to so biologically if we're talking about biological things that's mm-hmm. like what we've like evolved to be basically yeah so it's 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 not like yeah society's at a really good point right now where the most uh, stressful thing is probably like psychological, um, mm-hmm. how she's feeling, like postnatal depression, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't change what we've developed to become based on what we would have had to have gone through. So we're even even if you look at it um, in terms of just animals, when we're, we're not particularly um, strong, like we haven't got like no. armored skin, we haven't got like big claws, we haven't. The only thing we have in our favor that's fends off all of the animals from eating us is that we're smart yeah, that we can fi- we can create uh weapons and we can build like traps and stuff like that yeah but even still the man has had to develop himself to a point where he can he can protect if it comes down to it if there's another guy trying to just come and take whatever it, like all your supplies whatever it is mm-hmm. um so i think it's it's a bit difficult for men to just become what society wants them to become now yeah yeah when we've just over however long humans have been about we've developed into what we are already so i think it would be maybe if all of human history mm-hmm. was like doubled then maybe we could be because all, all up until this point we've had to be strong mm-hmm. so if we had all of that time again where we didn't have to be strong then maybe it would be easy for men to just be completely emotional and just be like in touch with all of the same things that women are in touch with Mm -hmm. but i just think it's so hard for men to to be like that just because of what they've had to become over all of these however long humans have been about yeah and i guess you're right in terms of like you know we've we've been with this societal construct for so long that obviously it will be difficult for men to i guess relax in terms of like the gender norms and stuff but then in terms of like evolving, I feel like we have evolved. So in the beginning, let's use cavemen again. Mm. Yes, it might have been more likely that the man has to go like catch the fish and fly mm. off the bear. I don't know. <laughs> but And intruders yeah, coming yeah. into the cave. There we go. Mm. But we've evolved. So we now know that we don't need that that protection the way that we did then. But what we do need is like more emotional help, more psychological help. Do you see what I mean? But it wasn't it wasn't like when we was in the caves after the caves time. Yeah, then everything was just all good. 
It's like even recent history, things have been kind of crazy for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's like we happen to live in one of the safest places in the world. But there's loads of places where it is still quite savage. There's still quite a lot of madness going on. There's like gangs roaming the streets. There's like no laws. Yeah, yeah. There's like uh, criminals basically running everything. Mm-hmm. And people will just come in your house and do a madness. So yeah. it's like, we. I think most men in the world, they kind of are still the same as they've always been because of necessity even if you go back to um even in this country not that long ago a couple hundred years ago it Mm -hmm. was like some crazy times so we happen to be in a really good time Mm -hmm. and in a really good country where we're now able to focus on other things and i think i'm not saying it's a bad thing i'm saying if it stays like this for a long time then i think maybe men will be the way people want men to be but I just think it's so hard to expect. It's so difficult um, at this point to expect them to just at the snap of a finger be that because at any given time, it could just revert back to what like just savage times again. Say, for example, like one of these wars kicks off, like uh, the thing that's going on with Russia or something. It just it Mm -hmm. turns into a madness. People start coming over and like just claiming stuff. Men are going to have to be men again. They're going to have to they're going to have to like forget about their emotions and be prepared to die for their family. Mm. So I don't know. I think it's just, it's a difficult situation. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about it because I just feel like I get a hundred percent everything. But if like you were saying, like, you know, we're in England and we're in like a better position than most, mm. would we not use this better position to evolve further? Yeah. Then, then stay in the same situation in comparison to the people that have to stay in that situation am i making Mm. sense so like these countries that are like going through war and stuff their social constructs is like that because it has to be at this present moment but we don't have to be like that we don't have to have three-fourths of suicide rates being men Mm. like we can learn in the privileged life that we are in that we like you know we can talk about our struggles we can open up like being weak doesn't mean talking about doesn't mean not talking about your mental health being strong doesn't mean you have to be physically strong Mm. because we are in a privileged enough society to be able to evolve in that Mm. whereas these countries in war they they don't have that privilege they're they're just running on like fight or flight at this point Mm. which isn't great i think words like strong and brave are kind of broad and it's like it's hard to if we just say there's just one str- one way of being strong or one way of being brave, then I think that's where the mistake is. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree that there's a difference between a strong man and a strong woman? Or would you say that, that it's, both, it's the same? I've, I feel like it's mm. the same. I think different people will interpret a strong woman and, or a strong man in a different way. Because mm. I think a strong man has to do things that men do <laughs> and a strong woman has to do things that women do. So a strong woman would be someone who is, she's like, um, I don't know, emotionally strong. And um, she might have physical strength as well, but it's not comparable to a strong man's physical strength. So that's why we don't have um, like men and women. Well, it's coming in now, but it, there's they, they've never really done sports. men and women sports together yeah, yeah. because it's, Men are just stronger. No, yeah, biologically that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so um, so it, so a man being strong 
is is more like leaning on those attributes and a woman being strong is more leaning on her attributes mm. and they have different attributes it's not that one is more valuable than the other they're both really important and i feel like we're just two pieces of a puzzle when we fit together and yeah, that's yeah. we're just a perfect unit but i just think there's a clear difference between a woman's strength and a man's strength and when a man tries to be strong at women's strength stuff or a woman tries to be strong at man's strength stuff Bloody that's hell. when it that's when it just gets um i don't know it's it's like you're you you can't win that that match like a man can't be better at being a woman than a woman and a woman can't be better at being a man than a man oh this is completely <laughs> frazzled my head a man can't okay i get it. i think i get it um i probably explained it terribly but i do have no i feel like you explained it well <laughs> and that's why it's hurt my head I I don't know because I I think it depends on context. So mm. like for example if there was um let's use like Mo Salah, let's just go with him, yeah. Like um I don't know if people know this but like he recently said that he actually came from Somalia and like um it under like a different name and he had to live with this family that he didn't know and he never got to see his family, his biological family again. That to me is a strong man. Not because I thought of him as like a strong man, mm. but because I thought of him as like, wow, like you've gone through some real traumatic mm. life experiences and you come out on the other side. That is a strong man. Mm. I could put that to in the same path as a woman who has, I don't know, gone through a traumatic birth. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that is a really strong woman. But that's the same because they're strong because they've gotten over their traumatic experiences. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But then also I could see a WWE, not with the school, I don't, I don't watch these stuff, but like <laughs> a WWE player, that's a woman and be like, shit, like this girl's strong. Mm. Um, and that could be the same as like a male boxer. And I'm like, he's strong. So I feel like it depends on context rather than mm. that. The two genders have completely different strongs. Mm. Does that make For sense? Real, to what yeah, you it, said? Does. it does. It makes a lot of sense. So, I think what you're saying is basically that there are some things that are like it doesn't matter the gen it's nothing to do with gender it's just like almost it's, like human strength yeah like yeah, yeah. Um, endurance or something or like yeah. um, resilience resilience yeah, yeah. exactly mm. like I'm not sure if there's a a strong that a woman could go through that I can't I can't apply to a man mm. well I would say a strong that a woman could go through is being able to be a mother or being able to um to birth a child like that takes strength it's not you can't it's it's not easy apparently it's one of the worst uh pains to ever go through yeah so um that's obviously a level of strength that a man can never experience or be able to to do no um the same with a man um he can um he he could fight off some intruder <laughs> No, <laughs> in like in a way where um she just couldn't do it it's like or he can he can he he has the strength to sacrifice himself for his family in a way that a woman wouldn't do like if say for example um i don't know something happened mm -hmm. some intruder something like that mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you love it, an intruder yeah <laughs> Go on. i'm just it, it's just the easiest thing um but yeah, it's it's like men are just. I think men are just like that. They're 
quite self-sacrificial. They will mm-hmm. sacrifice themselves for their family. And I think they've always done that throughout yeah, yeah. Um, human history. So, And I think that's something that women don't really do. And I think they don't do it for a survival thing. It's like, it's for the sake of the human race, it's better that men do it and women don't do it because women are the ones who carry children. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's going to die, it should be the man it, in like... In, in in like a weird way I, I know it doesn't sound right no i get it i don't know i just <laughs> i i don't know I, I feel like they can all be applied mm. in the same way in terms of like okay no a man cannot give birth to a child mm. like I can't, he can't but there are single dads out there like i'm not saying that there is the same amount of single dads as there are single moms because we all know that there's not and we do know that women usually are the the like primary caregiver of a child mm. but there are like primary caregivers that are men mm. and there are single dads and then they are going through the same thing as the woman mm. or like how do you know like i don't know if i had a man i'm not the one like fighting off the intruder whacking him in the head and you might the you man's might. like mm. not doing anything i don't know like, but I, then would you still like that guy would he still be a valid guy to you would he no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mm. might have a slight ick but <laughs> i feel I like think most women would i feel like most women would but also because that's how we are like kind of taught to think that that, that is what the man does do you see what i mean but there are some women that are like I'm the fighter, and if that works for them, then I think strong women should get with stronger men. Like even a woman who is really strong, who probably could fight off an intruder, mm. she should just be with a guy who's even stronger, who can fight off an intruder better. Yeah, but what if she like? What about balance? Like, what if she's like, all right, I'm the strong one, and the guy's the weak one. Yeah, but you're talking about physically, physically. I thought that's what we was talking about. All right, so yeah, mm. later. So what she's like, she's mad strong. She's in the gym. She's got mm. this really like, I don't know what it's called, but this physique. Mm. And like... She's like a UFC fighter. There are some really strong UFC fighter women. Don't know what UFC is, but yeah, we're going to go with that. It's like ultimate fighting championship. So basically, they're just like the top fighters in the world. Right, yeah. She's mm. a UFC fighter. Mm. And then her man's a little bit chubby. He likes to chef it up every day, you know. <laughs> and and she is stronger. Mm. I feel like that's that's fine. Like it, like in theory, I think it is. There's there's nothing wrong with it, and there's probably a rare case of that situation. Mm. But I think most women wouldn't like a guy who, if she was pregnant and she couldn't fight, even though she's capable of fighting, if she didn't want to, for she didn't want to put strain on her baby. Yeah. 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 If he couldn't do anything, no, I that would it, just be it. like a turn off to it. It's like, how is this even a valid guy? Like, how is he even going to do what he's supposed to do? No, I get it. I get it. But you have made some good points, though. You have, like, especially have. with the um, <laughs> with the um, Mo, um, with the, the yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I've got some questions for you anyway. Go um, on. I'm scared. That <laughs> I wanted to ask you. Um, these questions are more, um, they're kind of, like general like social dynamics um Mm -hmm. to get your opinion on it but i think it would be really interesting to hear your perspective because of your line of work i think you think a little bit deeper about like the psychology of all of these things yeah so i'd like to hear your opinion on them is there a link between looks and personality 
I, I'm going to go for what I think. I think that there is, but in a way of if someone has the, like, a look that most, a lot of people are attracted to, generally that does help to breed more confidence. So it's not necessarily that it will, but if you're, for example, a woman that always gets a, like attraction from guys, it is more likely that you are going to have that little extra boost of confidence mm. than a woman that doesn't get a lot of attraction from guys. So I think it can shape your your personality. So what about if there's somebody who is, because this is something that I've heard people say before, yeah? they've mm-hmm. said stuff like, if a girl's not that attractive, she ends up having a better personality because she's had to work on it. To, but what do you what do you think about that concept? I don't think she ends up having a better personality, but mm. I do think that there are people like women or men that when they are not society's greater looking mm. or like you know that the general whatever standard people, of beauty, yeah, sort of yeah, mm. um, that they do use personality as a way to like court people or the way to attract people because they know that that is their their biggest asset at the moment mm. and what about if um somebody's looking like somebody looks like a creep yeah do you think they have a creepy personality based on them looking like a creep do you know what i used to i'm gonna hands up say like i i had a creep look in my head like in terms of like i would i would know what i think a creep looks like mm. But when you're in my line of work, mm. I promise you, a creep can be anyone. Like, there is no creep look. Like, it, it's, yeah, anyone could be a creep. Like, no one is safe. <laughs> so, um, That's so interesting. So, yeah. So, you have people who are, like, looking, they look completely normal, but they're just doing the most. Yeah, I just think, like, I used to work in forensics um, before this job. So, when I did work with, uh, like, offenders people that were well, I, i'm gonna class a p as a creep so people that mm. were uh or like and things like that or creepy as people would say you, that that's not a look that is like that could be anyone like they they some are young some are old like it it doesn't matter um so ever since i've had that kind of i guess like not training but i've come across these people mm. now I'm a, I'm a bit more like skeptical as to like who is the creep and who's so if somebody looks creepy Mm -hmm. you you still treat it as like they could not be creepy or do you still feel like they might be creepy well if it's like (laughs) the word creepy (laughs) it's like i feel like now Mm. i'm conditioned to not see a creepy look does Mm. that make sense in terms of their actual physical aesthetic Mm. but there could be a creepy look in terms of like they're around the corner staring at me Mm in their actions mm. but i don't see creepy in terms of their physical appearance anymore mm. whereas when i was a bit younger there might have been an actual look that i would be like oh this is a creepy kind of look mm. but now it's very heavily based on what are they doing rather than what do they look like because mm. um there's that saying um you can't judge a book by its cover yeah and it's very true so you don't think that a cover tells you anything about the context of the book I do feel like the cover does tell you some stuff, mm. but you need to read the blurb. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, you just need to 
work it out. Definitely. Like read their um, progress reports and see what's what's been happening. Yeah, yeah. You just never know. (laughs) I hear you. How do you feel about working for free? Like, is that something (laughs) you would do or do you have any opinion on it? Okay, so I, yeah, I do. I'm okay with working for free. It just depends on how much and what it is. If it's something that I feel like this is going to add like really great value to, I want to do this. This is coming from the heart then I will work for free. Mm. If, But there's a fine line between me working for free because I want to help and people taking my kindness for weakness and asking me to work for free. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, for example, like outside of work, I'll do workshops about mental health. I do them because I want to help. I want to educate people in mental health mm. so that this, like, crises do come down. Like, people do get help before they're in a crisis. But also, I don't expect people to be asking me to share the knowledge I have after six years in uni mm. for free. Yeah. So there's a there's a fine line. What about um, maybe not you personally, but just the idea of people doing like voluntary work or um, stuff like that? Do you think it's it's good for them, or do you feel like um, you should always get what it's worth, sort of thing? No, I feel like um, I. I really value voluntary work. I actually have done voluntary work. Um, so the last one I did, I mean, COVID came. So I, my last one was, ca- was cancelled. But the one before that, I flew to Costa Rica. Um, and I stayed in a village and I taught kids um, in schools. And then I taught adults in the night mm. English so that it could help them to like, you know, come out of the village and work in the city or move to America or whatever it is. And I did that for, I actually paid to go. Mm paid for the books paid for all the stuff paid for to stay there um to teach these people because i really feel like what you put into the world is what you get back Mm. so i don't at all actually i really encourage people to volunteer and like show acts of kindness Mm. but also there is a limit in terms of like i can't just never get paid yeah so in order for me to even have because to fly to costa rica and pay for all that stuff definitely cost me like i think nearly three grand altogether for me to volunteer that money and that time, I would need to be paid in another capacity. Does mm. that make sense? So we can't just be free. Mm. But also, yeah, I do agree with volunteering. Yeah. I think the reason why I thought of this question as well was because it kind of dawned on me uh, that anyone who starts a business mm-hmm. is probably, or not, uh, like some businesses probably you get money straight away, but most businesses that people start, yeah. they're working for free for this first year or mm. however long like while they're getting themselves out there whatever it is okay so um so i was thinking um probably everyone who wants to invest in themselves like in terms of like they want to start some sort of business even if it's um whatever it is even if it's uh putting together say you're doing a clothing brand or something mm-hmm. there's a lot of work in the beginning before you start selling products that you have to do without pay so um you might it might involve all the research you have to do to start yeah, the thing yeah. or or all the money you have to pay to like register your company and um, mm. pay for whatever the suppliers and um, all of that sort of stuff. It's like you're doing a lot. You're going to the different suppliers. You're going around doing market research. You're doing whatever you're doing. And, and it's all for free in the beginning. Mm. But it's with the intention of getting paid later. Yeah, I feel like if we're going to think of it in that way, mm. that's not free. So I know like it's free in terms of like money wise, it's free, but it's not free in terms of 
because it's an investment in mm. what you're going to get back eventually. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So for example, like going on, I don't know, people's YouTubes and stuff like that's, that's free, mm. but the gain you'll get back eventually that, that would have been minor compared to, yeah. you know, the, what you would get back from doing that. So, or for example, like registering your company, all of that stuff, you're not gaining any money from that. No, now, because that is an investment in what you are going to get in the future. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And you can somewhat look at that or use that same lens to view the other stuff as well. So say, for example, you're doing voluntary work, um, but you're, you're gaining like, so say, for example, you've gone and done this thing and now your CV looks like a lot better, Mm -hmm. which helps you get the job over someone else who hasn't done stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're still somewhat investing in your uh, portfolio or whatever it is or your yep. CV or something. And um, I kind of think that all work for free is an investment mm-hmm. in something, even if it's investing in knowledge that you now use later on because you've had that experience and you've learned that thing. So let's say for argument's sake, you want to be... Um, someone wants to be doing what you do uh, mm-hmm. for a living and they spend loads of time doing the workshops and stuff um, so that they get to meet the types of people who need the help and they mm-hmm. get to like learn from doing it, but they're without the job. Eventually all of that, all of those experiences and that knowledge will help them on the path of actually doing the job. But if they go carry on down that path like, and yeah. get qualified and whatnot. But that's also dependent on how many times you're doing that. Because if you, if you reach a point where you can get paid mm. and now you're still doing it for free, mm. then you're not, that's, that's not an investment. Yeah. So you, you need to weigh up how much I'm doing this for free because it's going to get me here and I'm already here, but yeah, I'm going to do it for free. Mm. So yeah, it depends on that situation. Yeah, for real. How responsible are parents for their children? What do you mean in terms of? So if you have a child here, mm. Or someone has a child and that child becomes a crazy person or a serial mm-hmm. killer or something and they do a lot of damage or something. Is it the parents' fault? I don't think it's the parents' fault all the time. Sometimes it is the parents. I don't want to say fault, but sometimes the parent contributed to this. But there also are, I've worked with children as well for most of my career, um, there also are parents that have really really tried and parenting must be so different i'm not a parent but like i know that parenting is really hard like you can't there is no right parent you can't always get this right and no matter what they did their child still might perceive like their upbringing and be the person that they are today does that make sense Mm. so i don't i don't always blame the parent so in a case where um the parents have given the child loads of opportunities like they've mm-hmm. uh, they had a child in in a wealthy f- household um they've given they sent a the child to private school or something along them lines um they've given the child everything they wanted mm-hmm. but the child has now got loads of free time and they start hanging out with the wrong crowd yeah and then they end up getting involved in those are madness mm-hmm. and then their life turns out bad yeah isn't there still some responsibility on the parent for allowing their child to have all of that free time to be now influenced by other people instead of, couldn't they have done something to kind of steer their child away from that sort of lifestyle? 
I feel like yes and no because as a parent you have to remember that like they're growing they're like parents don't just know what to do they grow in parenting so it's not likely that they're gonna know exactly what to do and they're just trying their best Mm. so if that child now has all this freedom and wants to hang around with people that are you know not doing great and making them do things that they shouldn't do i wouldn't say it's technically the parents fault especially if like I'm sure the parents aren't encouraging them to do that. No, they might not know. It might or... be neglect. Maybe they're just not really paying attention. They're kind of dropping the ball on their responsibilities. Well, if it's neglect, then yeah. But if it's if it's that like, I don't know, you know, the child goes to school, they maybe have like extra curriculum activity. You know, parents will take them out on the weekend, but parents work. And whilst that parent's working, the child's out with, I don't know, Bob smoking <laughs> weed. I don't mm. know. I don't know then I don't think that's the parent's fault because the parent tried Mm. and like, you know, and the child did whatever they did. But obviously if it's a thing of like, you know, the parents out with their friends every day and leaves the child, here's 200 pounds today, like Mm. F off, then, then obviously yes, then it's the parent's fault. So in the scenario where their parents supposedly doing everything right, Mm -hmm. but the kids hanging out with Bob and they're just smoking weed and, they're getting involved in some madness. Yeah. Isn't there still some level of responsibility where the parent could have shaped their child in a certain type of way where they weren't susceptible to Bob's influence? I mean, yeah, but you could say that about anything. I think it's more about the parent trying than the parent being right, if that makes sense. Because there could be one parent that's like mad strict. That's like, right, you need to be in this house. School finishes at 3.10 and you need to be in the house by 3.15. Like mm. there's parents like that. Mm. And that child is still naughty. Mm. Then there's parents that are like, you know what? I trust you. You go out and that child is good. Mm. But there also could be like a parent that's like, go have your fun. And that child's naughty. And then the parent that's strict and the child's not. Mm. So I don't think there's like a an obvious pathway as to what a parent can do to have this this child other than to, you know, install like good values in them and help guide them. But ultimately, a person is going to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Of course, with like exceptions of, you know, if they were witnessing domestic abuse from young and stuff like that, then obviously it's more likely that, you know, they, they'll engage in abusive activities or be um, vulnerable to it. Mm. But if we're just looking at like a normal general household, like as long as the parent's trying, I don't think it's mm. it's so like linear. Yeah, I agree. I've heard that um, between the ages of zero and seven, mm-hmm. you're kind of, that's what you're going to be from then on. What do you think about that? So basically the, the idea is you... From those ages, you're basically just absorbing or absorbing whatever the word is, all the information about the world and what life is. Mm -hmm. And then based on the way you process that information kind of determines on what you're going to be after that. And everything kind of just, obviously you get wiser and wiser as time Mm -hmm. goes on. But those fundamental influences during the formative years between Mm -hmm. zero and seven are always going to be a factor in your life. Do you believe that or is that incorrect? I mean, I think there's like an, a very slight element of truth to this. Have you heard it before? That's, that's I have heard thing. this before, mm. yeah. But 
you have to think of it like this. So as a baby, like you're born, mm. your brain is the one organ that is not fully developed. And your brain is never fully developed until you reach the age of like 25. Mm. So you are always learning. Do you get what I mean? So even at 13, even at 17, you are learning about who you are, who you're going to be. Your brain is still developing. So to say that by six, it's like, or by seven, like this is it. It's almost like, well, one minute, what happened to the rest of the years until you turn 25 where your mm. brain is still developing? You're still, you know, understanding like threat responses and how to self-soothe because your brain is still, yeah, developing. Um, and I know the brain has an organ, but it's kind of like a muscle in terms of like, you train your brain into the way that you are. Do you see what I mean? So for example, if you go through a lot of times where there's been threats around, like let's say you haven't, let's just go with abuse. You haven't witnessed abuse up until the age of seven, right? But then from 10 to 15, you see loads of abuse your threat system is growing, growing like shit. Like there's abuse everywhere. And so that that can change who you are when you're now 25 plus because in the, the years between 10 and 15, this is what you experienced, but you didn't experience it between seven, zero mm. and seven. So yes, there is a lot that children pick up on like under seven mm. and they really do absorb this. They are like, children are very like just everywhere and listening and picking things up, but also after seven up until 25 you are still learning there's still things that can be changed i don't think like by seven this is who you're going to be um so after the age of 25 would you say most of your learning has been done like and you you still you don't continue to learn you do continue to learn but now your brain is like fully developed so this is more like a conscious learning now rather than a you're learning as as the times are going on, if that makes mm. sense. So would you say before 25, everything is like hardwired in and then... Yeah, I mean, you're just learning from the experiences that you go through. And obviously past 25 you are, but it's it's just a lot more conscious, if that makes sense. Mm. Like now your brain's developed and everything you're learning is, is because you're learning it. It's like when you get children to learn languages, for example, like they're much more likely under 25 to pick up a second language and be bilingual under that age then when you're 25 it's a bit harder to retain it it's a bit mm. harder to change um some the way that someone thinks after 25 or like when you work in mental health for example when you work with under 25 it's a lot i'm say easy but easier to shape someone's way of thinking and change their mindset than when they're 25 plus and their brain has fully developed and they're really like all these things are ingrained in their mind now. Like mm. you are a fully functioning adult. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I, I don't. Yeah, no, it makes thing. a lot of sense. Um, and I'm doing lots of like sciencey kind of, but. That's cool. But it's yeah. good. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, that's what I was saying about um, hearing your perspective on it because of your line of work. I think it's, you probably got a lot more um, knowledge on it. So with me, it would just be things that I've heard. And like, I haven't really looked at any studies of yeah, it or yeah. on a deeper level. Is it selfish to be poor? No. <laughs> Shall I tell you why, why that question? <laughs> Go on, why is that a question? So that question comes from the idea. Have you ever heard that money is a byproduct of service? No. So that's, that's like, um, that's something that a lot of uh, financial... Um, advisors and financial books and stuff like that uh, say mm. they basically say that 
there you don't get money without rendering a service so if if uh you're a plumber or something like that um and you do a terrible job you do you offer a poor service mm-hmm. people are reluctant to give you the money for the job you've done and they're not going to call you back because they're not impressed with your work whereas if you've um done a really good job yeah they're happy to pay you and they're going to call you back if they need any more stuff and probably going to recommend you to their friends so you've you've rendered such a good service that mm-hmm. it's in demand now people want that and it's the same with any business basically if you even something like macd's or whatever it's like they're giving fast food they're giving you you can go there and just pick up a burger the same burger you will get if you went to the other side of london mm-hmm. or if you went to another country or whatever and well somewhat but yeah um, okay, yeah and it's um so basically it's just a service that they're rendering and because of their ability to render that service mm-hmm. they make money now right. um because nobody wants to give money to anybody just for free unless mm-hmm. um and and when you give somebody money you what you're saying is the thing that they're doing is worth more than the money because you're happy to give them the money so that you can get the other thing it's like you're tra- you're yeah, trading it. It. so that being said um if you're not making any money mm-hmm then you're not rendering any service. If you're not rendering any service, then are you selfish? That's the, <laughs> that's the um, line of thinking. No, you are not. <laughs> um, no, I don't think you're selfish. I think that that is a very... Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. Like, it's giving me, like, very westernised, mm. middle-class vibes in terms of that where assuming that people even have the opportunity to be the plumber to give the service Mm. does that make sense like some people don't even have the choice to have an education to get the job to give the service but even if you're living in a country where the only service you can render is you grow some herbs Mm -hmm. and you bring the herbs to market and you sell your herbs the fact that people want to buy your herbs you're giving them good herbs yeah that's rendering a service it's no, still a service yeah but you could be in a society where the people don't have the money to be buying the herbs like we like or most most i'm gonna say most people in england mm. speak from a very privileged point of view a very privileged eye you know we had free education and there is more opportunity mm. but if you really think about certain people's circumstances some people do not have the opportunity to even do some of the things that we take for granted and just think like oh this is this is small like i can plant some tomatoes and sell them like why not Mm. but some people literally might not be even surrounded by the people that can buy the tomatoes or have the water to i don't even know i don't know how you do tomatoes anyway have the water to water the the plant that the tomato grows on Mm. like it's all about how much access you have to be able to do these things and some people do not have any access or some people might not even have the education to know that if I offer a service, I'm going to get this money. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or or people might be ill or like all sorts of things. That so, assume, so you've made some good points. Mm-hmm. So assuming that you are in a, in a society where these, these uh, things are true, yeah, you mm-hmm. can render a service. So right. let's say somebody who's living in London. Right, okay. Who um, has had free education, mm-hmm. and um, but they they don't render any service. 
even if, even if you work for McDonald's, you're rendering a service because McDonald's needs people mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. serve their burgers or whatever it is, or to take people's money and give you change or whatever. That's still a service. That's like a company McDonald's wants you to do that. So you're getting paid for it. So any work here basically is just rendering a service. Okay. So assuming you don't do any any and you're not sick you're, there's not it's not like you're like assuming you're not <laughs> sick, taking you're not all the a, problems yeah, away yeah assuming that there's no problem like that if you're not rendering a service are you selfish um i still think no why but i'm trying to think of why i think no but it i think it depends because if it's a thing of you can but you just don't want to, then there's a selfish aspect to this. But if it's a thing of you, you can, but you don't know how to, or you're struggling to, or something getting in the way of doing this, then I don't think that's selfish. Mm. So if you can, or you can at least try, but you would rather, you'd rather take than give. No, then, then that's selfish. Because I think that maybe maybe it's not many people, yeah, but I think there are people who are no, like that. There are people that are mm. like that, but I think that there are more people that want to and can't mm. rather than that do and just don't want to. Mm. But I do agree that there are people in the world that just want to want money and not do anything, mm. um, which yes is selfish. But yeah, but yeah, uh, I, a lot of those things. Yeah, if you're sick, obviously, what can you do? Like if you're like bed bound or something yeah, yeah you're not going to be able to render a service yeah, um yeah. and if you're in some place I, I even the places like the other like countries that are not as developed as this country mm-hmm. there are still people who make a good living they yeah, have a good course. life and but you have to think of it as like if every like if everyone could render a service and like make money then there probably there wouldn't be rich people do you see what i mean like there'll just is be all... levels it, w- it would be like how valuable is the service you can render? So some people might render a service that allows them to just have a basic level of income and that might be okay for them. They might not have like giant aspirations where mm-hmm. they want to, they just want to look after their family. Yeah, yeah. And if they, if their uh, service that they're rendering can do that, mm-hmm. then who's to say that's wrong? Um, but there are going to be cer- certain services that are so necessary and so desired that it, they there will always be rich people. Yeah, but there will also be services that no one goes to. Because it's not desirable. Because it's not desirable, because the person doesn't know how to make it desirable, because they don't need it, because they're going to the rich man for their, their services, because it's not as appealing, because, because of whatever it is, because they don't have the tools to make their service the best service and mm. someone else. But even, even, as, even in having a job is rendering a service, so... Mm. but people struggle to have jobs like especially people that like might have had free education and then didn't get any GCSEs and then didn't get any A-levels or I don't know how it goes but Mm. like do you see what I mean like some people really actually just struggle to just get a job and want to but but can't but there are jobs where you don't need any GCSEs like as I said that's why I said McDonald's because it's like that's one of those jobs people just walk in and out of Mm, it's like there are loads of people just it's like their turnaround is so high yeah, people yeah. just start and then maybe do like a couple weeks and then keep and then it moving. Um, stuff like that is available. And mm. even even if you didn't want to do stuff like that, there's you could just knock at people's houses and say, do you want me to clean your garden? Or do you want me to 
whatever do you want me to clean your car whatever like children do it like they they just ask their neighbors if they can clean their car and stuff like that that's still rendering a service i'm gonna be really annoying but i feel like but that's assuming that they even have the confidence to be knocking on people's doors Mm. to be doing that do you know what i mean like some people don't have that that drive like naturally within them do you know what i mean like some people might really struggle with with even thinking I need to do this to get this. Mm. Like, but then yeah. wouldn't you say on some level that they're more concerned with their comfortability? Like, oh, it's going to be uncomfortable going and like putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. They're more concerned with that than the service that they'd be rendering. It's like these people need stuff done for them. Why not do it for them? Why not help them? I think it depends. Mm. I think it, yeah. I, it is that question is like <laughs> it's I, tricky it, yeah and it's very like um it's deliberately worded in a way to like to i realized it. <laughs> so i yes, realized that, that i don't think there's really a right answer to it anyway it's just basically to get people to think about money in a way like what can they do to to like to render a service like mm-hmm. there is many services that can be rendered and there's no stopping I, like because i don't I, one of the narratives that i hear a lot is oh, everything's against me and I can't I can't succeed in life because something out of my control. Mm. And I don't really like that narrative. I think, um, obviously, there are some things like that, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I hear it way too much from people who there's no reason why they can't just do something. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I, that's why I, I've, I've made that question, just to, I don't get, know, get people thinking. People. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I've got another one for you. When was the last time you heard something that touched you? It could be maybe like a quote. It could be um, maybe a song. It could be maybe something that somebody said to you. It could be anything. Just something you know that really. Last week, mm. one of my patients, she, bless her, she said to me that like, I remind her of a young Michelle Obama, and I was like, "What?" Mm. Um, but she explained it. And it really touched me. And she was basically saying how, like, when I started, like, I wore braids and, like, I am the only a black girl in in that field, mm. in my like in my workplace. Um, and she was saying, like, you just really inspired me because, like, you authentically came as, like, a black girl into your job. Mm. Um, and you've really tried to help a lot of us. Um, yeah, and that, that touched me. I was like... Because it was something before I started, I was thinking, oh my God, I've got braids in my head. I need to take this out, straighten my hair. Mm. Like, and it was something that I was thinking about a lot. Mm. So for her to a year later point this out and be like, I really loved that you came with your braids and like you was authentically you was like, oh my gosh, like. Mm. Someone noticed. Yeah, yeah, Mm. you see me. Um, So yeah, that was something that touched me. Mm. And Michelle Obama's very high. So Mm. to compare me to her, I don't um, know much about Michelle Obama. Do you have you do you know much about her? I don't know too much about her. Obviously, she was the first lady. Yeah. Um, but I just know that like I've seen her do a lot of like volunteering, advocating for women's rights, advocating for black women. Mm. Um, and I really love that. I really value women, especially black women, that are in like positions of power and use their power to help mm. other black women, you know, climb up the ladder. Um yeah so i really like value her for that mm. yeah. yeah that's deep have you ever heard a song mm-hmm. that you loved so much yeah 
that you played it on loop for hours? I was about to say one Shensia song. I don't know. Wait, let me think. Um, Is that something that you've ever done? Like just you, you love a song so much that you've played it on loop for hours. Yeah, but I feel like I've done that like <laughs> so many songs. <laughs> So I feel like I couldn't even give you one. I don't know. For example, I guess one of my favorite songs is by Joe, which is like a nineties R and B song. Okay. It's called All the Things Your Man Won't Do. Mm. Uh, I've played that on loop many times. Mm. I don't know. I feel like there's loads. I can't. It's quite an interesting concept because I was thinking the other day that there's certain songs yeah. Like mm-hmm. I I like a lot of music. Yeah, yeah. But every now and then, maybe mm-hmm. it's like one every few years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll hear a song that I just can't stop playing. I have to play it back to back for yeah. hours until it's rinsed out. Mm. And it's like, what is, surely that's quite obsessive. Like, isn't that like, is this something? Do you know what? Mm. Like, it might not be this for you in this particular way, but I think, I know for a lot of people, music is such a good way to make sense of the way you feel. Mm. So, sometimes when you're replaying music, it's because it's like, shit, like, <laughs> this person feels what I'm feeling. Mm. And you replay it because it's so descriptive and like precise to the way you're feeling. Mm. Sometimes you might replay music because it's something you want to feel. You're like, oh my God, this is a tune. Like this mm. is, this is how I want to feel. And sometimes it's just cause it's just a good, good song. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it's like some sort of hypnosis thing where it's like no. the song is just like <laughs> seeped into my brain or something no. it's like i just love it too much i don't think so i think it usually is heavily collected with the connection you're having with the song at the time mm. and just yeah in whichever way it doesn't have to be emotional and like super sad like it might be like really happy or like really sexual whatever it is mm. but a lot of the time it usually is like that yeah there's a connection or description of like how you do feel how you want to feel mm. Yeah. Or or it reminds you of like a core memory of something. Mm. It might be like, I don't know. You might have heard like a Trey Songs song when you was that was so trippy. Anyway, a Trey Songs song when you was like I don't know, fourteen and now you've had it and you're like, Oh my god, it reminds me of XYZ. Mm. That nostalgia and yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting concept because it's like it seems to be connected to the time when I hear it because it's like I'll I'll play that song again mm-hmm. like years later after I've had my uh, loop session, <laughs> and then it's it doesn't have the same effect. Yeah. It's like I still like it, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just not. I can't be looping it because it's. But it was something about that time period mm-hmm. when I played that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just quite quite interesting. And also, I asked people what song it was that they um, done that with, and so you you mentioned. Uh, the Joe song. So I'll, I'll check Don't that out. Don't ask well. me why. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to see dif- the different songs that resonate with different people, like mm. on t- to that level. Mm. So yeah, that, I'll, I'll be checking that one out. I, don't, I haven't heard that one before. So I'm a proper like 90s R&B girl, mm. selling me dreams. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, go on. Yeah, I think uh, music's changed a lot since then, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah. So I think back then it was more like about love and stuff like that. And now it's yeah. just I feel like stuff. back then, mm. I don't know, I think I think why I love nineties R and B so much is because it tells a story. I don't mm. know, there's always like some sort of little drama in it, mm. like there's a whole story to the song. Whereas now it's just I feel like it's just words. It's not mm. describing anything, it's not telling a story or like yeah. it's I think just... it became a, a bit more shallow as well over the time. So yeah. it's not like back then it was like there'd be quite a few more deep deep songs and 
But yeah. you still hear the odd deep one. Yeah, now, yeah, of course, but of it's course. Just, but it's not as, yeah. yeah, not now. Yeah. Are all lives worth living? Oh my gosh, I don't like this question. <laughs> Absolutely. No matter what. Like, even if your life is complete misery, every single day has just been torture, is it still <laughs> worth living? Yes, I well, I think all lives are worth living. Mm. Um, but th- but I am answering this question very much that aligns with my values. Mm. So, for example, like I'm not super religious, but I have like Christian values, and obviously, so that would mean that I don't believe in like ending life. Mm. Um, and like even my values as a psychologist, you know, like I don't. I'm not saying psychologists don't agree with like euthanasia, but like I try to instill hope into my um into my patients like even if they've gone through the worst time the most traumatic life experiences i would hope that this is going to end and you are going to live a life worth living Mm. so i'm going to say every life is worth living but yeah i think so as well but it's just it's just such an interesting concept because you can imagine somebody who's maybe in prison for the rest of their life and they're in like solitary confinement and you can imagine a life that's just really difficult no, to I just know. be going through it day by day. Or you could be like a, um, you, I don't know, you're captured by somebody, you're held hostage by some some crazy organization or something, or you're mm-hmm. they're, they're interrogating you and you're, you're going through like, like living hell. Mm-hmm. You can imagine a life like that. But I think even still, it's still worth living. Yeah, definitely. But Yes, yeah, it's, it's just it's a crazy and and plus there's no telling what happens What's after happen this. Next? Yeah, so it's like, if you end that, then you just mm. don't know what. Yeah, no, life is worth living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know if this question is gonna come out right because I've asked it a couple times and it. I don't like. I don't know if I'm not wording it right or what the issue is with this question. Yeah, but I, I feel like people don't really understand it when I when I say it. But I'll ask you anyway, and mm-hmm. then you interpret it however you interpret it. Okay. What is more scary, success or failure? I, you know what? I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'm someone that always has the answers to everything, but Mm. I don't know because I'm looking at it in a viewpoint of being successful and failing are both the unknown. I don't know how to explain it Mm. for, because if you become successful, that means you wasn't successful before mm. and now that's the unknown. And if you were doing something and then you failed, you've now gone into the unknown, mm. which the unknown is very scary for most people. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say both of them. Can you imagine um, scary, different scary elements to both? Yeah, I can imagine successful is now like, first of all, I think... When, you, when you're going through life and you've got, like, this goal, it's like, okay, I can see, you know, this light at the end of the tunnel. But then when you're at the light, it's kind of like, what's next? Like, what am I what am I trying for? What am I striving for? What am I reaching for? Mm, it's the like, journey's over. Yeah, like, it's like, for example, and I'm not at the end, like, I'm not at my light, but let's say when I got my job, that was pretty big. Like, it's so hard to get into psychology so for me to be in that field at my age is like, what the hell? But then I, it did feel a little bit like, oh, I'm here now. Do you get what I mean? And like, I can't say I wasn't grateful for it, but it was like a bittersweet moment of like, 
the journey to it was like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And then when I got there, I was like, shit, I'm here. But then on the flip side of failure, it feels like you're further away from the goal. And now you have to do the travel all over again. Mm. The journey's longer. And no one wants a long journey. So yeah, I feel like they're both equally as hard. What comes to mind when I think about the scary parts of success Mm -hmm. is the people who who hate success. Like, so I imagine that um, there's like a a big uh, percentage of society Mm -hmm. that doesn't like success. So it it angers them to see somebody do well. And it's like, it it might be your friends, it might be your family, Mm -hmm. it might be people that don't even know you they just don't like you because yeah. you've succeeded when maybe they've failed or maybe they wanted to or that maybe they never tried and mm. but you've you have tried and you've succeeded right and now you got a target on your back they they're like plotting against you they got bad energy for you they're just thinking mm. about like something bad will happen and they'll be happy about it so i've seen a lot of um successful people i don't know they've passed or something and then mm-hmm people will be like almost cheering cheering the fact that they've died and it's it's just like it seems that they're just angry at success or there'll be somebody who i don't know they've um they've done really well and now you've just got people coming out the woodworks trying to steal from them or trying to take or, or trying to like i don't know put them in danger trying to yeah. catch them and so basically you just there's a lot of negative energy around being successful for some reason i don't understand why it is but it's something that I've noticed. I feel like you're definitely right. There is a lot of negative energy around being successful. But then when you said that, it made me think about the negative energy around when you're failing. Mm. Yeah, because so the flip side. There, there is people that will be like, yes, like mm. she's at the bottom mm. or he's at the bottom or whoever. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And almost try and keep you there. Yeah. So I'm not sure that one might be better than the other because you might be successful and people are hating on you, but you might be failing and people are still hating on you, mm. hoping you stay failing. Mm. So, but sometimes as well, when you're when you're with every, if you're not doing well, mm-hmm. and you're around a bunch of people who are also not doing well, everyone is everyone's yeah, happy yeah. with that. They're comfortable with that. It's like that makes them feel comfortable. They don't like they, it's cool. Yeah. But if you now distance yourself from the people who are not really doing much and then you start doing a lot these people now hate you and you mm. used to be friends like it used to be cool and um so yeah that de- de- but there is definitely stuff on the negative side as well um so then that makes me feel like when i think about the neg- the scary parts of failure mm-hmm. it's less about the people and it's more about my internal feelings it's like i feel like if i fell i, f- I would feel like inadequate i'd feel like I don't know, like ashamed of myself or something along mm-hmm. them lines, or I'd feel like I had so much potential and I've ruined it and yeah. that sort of thing. And it's like, so I feel like to me personally, the fear of failure is worse than the fear of success. I will, I will take all of the scary parts of success before I accept failure. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely scary parts on both. So I just wanted to see what other people think about it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do have more of a fear of failure failure than I do of a fear of success because obviously everyone wants to be successful. Mm. 
But I think when you speak to successful people mm. is when you really understand how scary it was to be successful. Mm. I feel like we don't think about success holistically. We think about success as just the good parts. We've got money, we've got a nice house, mm. like it's going to be great stuff. We don't think about the bad, the flip side of success, which is why we're not scared of it. Mm. Not that there is a particularly great thing about failure, but you know, you learn from failure as well and lessons are one of the biggest things that we can have so i don't know it's a tricky one yeah for real is there a link between perceived value and results mm. perceived value is in like basically just what people value as think as value and then results is in uh, an example would be something like there's a child mm -hmm. that everyone tells him or her um they're not they're not worth anything. They're basically just worthless and they will never they'll never be anything. Okay. And then maybe there's another child who everyone always said was just like awesome and everyone supports everything they're doing and is really like believes in them and knows that they'll be really successful. Mm -hmm. Is there a link between the perceived value of these two children and their their results? Oh, what happens? Yeah, absolutely. Would you um, say the link and is? I would say that because when you said that, it made me think about people that are privately educated and people that are state educated. And there could be two people, one's privately educated, one's not, have same grades. But the thing that that privately educated kid has is confidence. And that's what's getting that child far. The child that went to the state school, I'm not saying that they don't have confidence, but when you're privately educated, that gives you that extra backbone of like, do you know who I am? Whereas when you're state school educated, you're a little bit more humble about, you know, the grades that you got generally. Mm. And privately educated kids do generally do better. Obviously, yes, a lot of them do have money and stuff like that. But we're just going basically on the basis of the same education. They have confidence and they don't have as much. That definitely gets them far. Mm. Confidence talks. People love confidence. People have confidence in you when you have confidence in yourself. Um, so I do think that the perceived value of yeah, what you were saying mm. is a yes. Have you heard of the case um, where there was a child called winner and another child called loser? I think they were brothers. <laughs> so I might be getting it. I might be somewhat. Yeah, this sounds very psychology like. Yeah. But yeah, there was it was like a social experiment. Some some parents, I think mm -hmm. it was the dad's idea had two sons and named one of them winner and named one of them loser. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to see, does that affect their life? And the one called winner, I think messed up his life. And the one called loser became super successful. Really? Yeah. I guess it depends on how you learn to cope with that. Because obviously, generally, it would be that winner would do well because everyone's telling mm. winner that they're That's a winner. That's what I think like, he thought would happen. Mm. But... If Luz is like, F is like, I'm I'm going to be the winner. Mm. Then, you know, we can change the script. It's like, there's no straightforward answer for things. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can like interpret things differently. Loser might see it. I don't know. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> the child B, mm. that's called I think loser. He changed, I think he goes by the name Lou. Like. Lou, okay. So Lou <laughs> <laughs> might have seen that as a drive. Mm. You don't think I'm going to do it? Well, watch me. Mm. But another child might see that as like a, oh my gosh, like I'm a loser and not do as well. So mm. I, it, 
it depends on the person, how they perceive it, how they react to it, mm. I would say. I think in the case, um, the way that the story was told to me was that the guy who was called Winner, he kind of just took everything for granted. He assumed he was just going to be good at everything. And whereas mm. the guy who was uh, called Loser, he he just worked double hard for everything, basically. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it is a lot to do with the character of the person. In that sense, um, do you still think that there's a link between the perceived value of a person or something? Yeah, I still think there is a perceived value. I think that it can be changed, but I think, like, generally, the the child that is perceived to be, like, more successful, whatever, better child, mm. is more likely to do better than the child that's not. Mm. It doesn't mean it can't be changed, but on average like mm. generally and you can even think of it in terms of like a venture that you're doing if you imagine that the venture or your career or something along them lines if you imagine that the thing you're doing is kind of insignificant and you don't really you perceive it as not that valuable mm. then you're probably less likely to make it successful than if you imagine it's very important yeah and then but then you'll put way more effort into it because it's so important. Mm -hmm. It's like a, you feel like it's like a calling or something like that. Yeah, yeah. If you had everything you want, mm -hmm. how would your life be? If I had everything I want, I think I would be slightly further in my career. Slightly further in maybe like a relationship. I would, I would think I would have more stuff, like, in terms of the goals that I want. But also, I'm not sure they would have as much value to me as they do now. Because I had to graft for everything that I have. Mm. Whereas if I had everything, and it was kind of like, it was easier for me to, to be a psychologist. It was easier for me, well, I'm not married, but let's just pretend, like... Not, you know what I mean? Like, it was easier for me to get all the things that I desire. The value of them, I don't think, would be as high as they are for me now, where I had to, like, work my ass off to get these things. But assuming that you still had to work really hard for everything you want, but, but I still after you have it, how would how would your life be after you've done all of it? That you're aiming for certain things now, isn't it? Yeah. And when you get those things, how does your life look? Like, what does your... How would you describe your life? So... I can give you a bit of an example yeah, here. So, because um, when, when you think about, oh, what do you want out of life? Then you probably say something like marriage, um, car, uh, awesome car, awesome house, uh, something along them lines, traveling, something along them lines. Yeah, yeah. But if you think about how your life would be if you had these things, then it's a bit of a different question. It's like, okay, so I would wake up and go to my home office. I would... Uh, say good morning to my husband or something along them lines mm -hmm. um obviously for you yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and then um maybe you've got kids something along them lines uh, you make some breakfast for your kids or whatever mm -hmm. um make a few calls uh running your uh your few different yeah, uh, places whatever. Whatever, yeah. yeah um something along them lines. so you're talking about it as it's always happened you've got the things that you wanted mm -hmm. just how does your life look in that are oh, you in okay. this country am i in england i don't know no i feel like i am in england i'm in london um i guess like i have my husband my kids my private practice um 
doing volunteering like once a week, doing a couple workshops, going on holiday a few times a year. I want to like, I feel like, you know, I feel like evil eye, like I'm telling everyone my whole Mm. life plans. But anyway, like buying like a few houses, renting them out. Mm. Yeah. I don't want like a, I don't know if it sounds crazy, but I mean, I've said quite a few stuff that I want. So I mean, clearly I want a lot, but I don't think I want like a super dramatic life. Like if I could really, really pick my life, I would be low-key happy and rich, if that makes sense. Mm. And not just rich in like money, rich in like health, like everything kind of thing. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be like a Kim Kardashian, like out there and everybody knows my business and I've got this extravagant house. Like I just want a a nice, peaceful life. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. It's good to imagine it like practically like what how it looks because then it makes you I think it makes you think about the things that you have to do to do it yeah I think mm. what I want I think is like very achievable Mm. like I'm not I know you're saying like if you could have anything and obviously like if I really really could have a huge massive house then like I would Mm. but I feel like generally the things I want are quite humble so they don't feel too far in reach so that's the the thing that's in my head. Like, you know, waking up to my husband, like having children, like just a, a house, all this kind of stuff don't feel too extravagant to me. It just mm. feels like these are nice things that you want to have, that you will have that, yeah, are in reach of you, mm. I hear you. to me. But yeah. This isn't part of this question, but mm-hmm. it's just something that I thought about while you're saying it. Yeah. What do you think about the concept of, um, what's it called? Um What's it called when you um, you think about something and bring it to reality? Manifesting. Uh, ma- yeah, manifesting. What do you think about that concept? Um, so I agree with manifesting. Mm. Um, but I personally, this is just me, see mm. it from more of a religious point of view. And like I said, I'm not like super religious. But in terms of like in the Bible, it says like the power of the tongue kind of thing. Like don't speak like negative things into the world. Mm. So I see it in that point of view. And I feel like, when you, I'm not saying that you can say stuff and it's going to happen because if you could, then I'd be like, I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to be a billionaire and be a billionaire. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I'm like, I don't think it works like that, but it's more just about speaking positivity into the world for you to believe. And once you believe, like things seem more achievable, you, like you're able to have more of a drive to do because the belief comes within because you've said it out loud. And really and truly, like, when you think about it, when people have plans and they say it out loud, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I've said it out loud. Like, some people think it sounds stupid. Some people think it sounds like whatever. So to say things out loud is like, well, I've said it now. Like, it's out there. Do you know what I mean? Um, So I do think manifestation, however you want to, you know, if people read horoscopes and manifest in that way or religious or whatever, is like, overall a good way to kind of mm. bring in that self-belief you think it makes a difference if you write it down or if you say it out aloud is it the i don't same? think it matters mm. i think it's just it's just putting it out there do you know what i mean mm. it's like i don't know if i said like for example having a private practice like i'm a trainee right now so if i said that to like my my classmates they would look at me like all right then so but I'm saying it. I'm like, I will have a private practice and I'm letting you know. Mm. Now I've said it, it's out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, you look and laugh if you want, 
this is what's going to happen. I finished this year and watched the space. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And that knowing that like I might be shamed or people might look at me funny and still saying it is making me believe like, wow, well you said it in front of people. So at this point mm. you really believe that this is going to happen rather than keeping it in my head as just a thought. Mm. And people have done it, so it's not like yeah, completely yeah, of out of the realms of possibility. No, it just no. takes like it's not impossible at all. Mm. It's just like long, but it's mm. not it's not impossible. So yeah, yeah, like you just have to like know what you're aiming for and just go for it. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if I believe in manifesting things, but I do believe in setting really high goals and then working towards them. Mm-hmm. And maybe that could be seen as manifesting things because the goal that you set is. Like it is a really high goal. I don't believe in setting logos. I don't believe in setting something that's like easily achievable. I think life is like you're capable of loads of things. I feel like everyone's capable of a lot. So we should aim for a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what what was the saying? Um, someone said something along the lines of, "If you aim for the moon, at least even if you don't make it, you'll still be with the stars," or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Some saying like that. Yeah, but basically no, it's just about aiming high and then doing what it takes to get there mm-hmm. and then at least if you aim low then even if you achieve it it's like you're still not really where you really want to be yeah i guess it's like i mean i don't know how it worked for you when mm. you started this out but mm. you're saying you're an engineer and usually they're introverts i'm sure if you told some of your colleagues like i'm doing a podcast they might mm. be like like what do you know what i mean Maybe. Mm. but you said it out loud I've made my statement. This is what I'm going to do. Mm. And then you did it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you kept that thought in your head and it was just a thought, then you're less inclined to go and do that because you've just kept it as a thought. No one's encouraging you. And you're just like, oh, it'd be nice to start a podcast. But mm. Yeah, I've I've met so many people who have said they want to start one as well. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people want to do, but it's just doing it is, is uh, like, there's a lot to it. And even though, even though I am doing it, I'm still like a baby in the podcast game, isn't it? It's like you gotta be like the mo- the people that I I admire in the podcast game. They've been doing it for well over yes. a decade, and like I've, this is my first year. I've done one year, um, so this is it's been like a year and one month. Yeah, but you said it and you mm. did it. Yeah. Whereas if you never said it, you probably wouldn't have done it. For it real. would have just been a thought. Mm. So, for real, there's some yeah aspects of this manifestation. For real. Given your line of work, what have you learned about people in general? People are complicated. Mm. <laughs> people are so complicated. But I've also learned from people, men included, that at, at, at least one stage in someone's life, people need to feel held. Like, they need to feel, like, safe. However that looks for someone. Um, and it's not that I didn't know that before, but it was more that, this is really apparent to me now that like people just need to feel safe. Mm. Like, and I don't mean like safe as in like the door needs to be locked or like, I just mean safe in terms of like, they just have that really safe person around them. Like whether they have like, you know, like I know a a lot of men will confide in their like female partners or their male partners or whatever, but just that like safety now of like, someone's got me. Someone Mm. really has got me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think everyone needs that, innit? I also feel like I've learned that rich or poor, mental health literally 
does not discriminate. Mm. It doesn't care about how much money you have. It doesn't care about your age, your gender, your race, nothing. Like, if you're going to struggle with mental health, like, it, you're going to struggle with mental health. Do you get know what I mean? Um, and again, like, I think I said this earlier in the show as well. That's just something that I just didn't know. I thought, you know, once you're rich, like, you can't really good. struggle. You're all good. Like, mm. what do you mean? You're a millionaire. You live mm. in an eight-bedroom house. Like, how can you have mental health problems? Mm. I thought this was, like, very specific to people. But it's it's not. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, hereditary? Or it can be? I It can be. But I believe there's also, like, extra aspects to that. Because you could have a parent that, uh, like... I don't know, is depressed, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be depressed. Mm. But it also is, um, can be a contributing factor. It is something that I would look at if someone's depressed, like, and then you've got a family history of depression, mm. then, you know, but it doesn't mean that that is what's going to happen. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Also, something that I've noticed as well, whenever I speak to people who are dealing with mental health issues, mm. a lot of them are in like, small groups of people who are all dealing with the same thing so it's like it's almost like a uh like i don't know they'll like there'll be like a guy who three or four of his mates that he speaks to all the time they're all depressed yeah i i don't know i feel like i haven't i haven't come across that like in terms of i i know people that have depression that have like their friends are fine and then i know people that have depression that are in a circle of people that are depressed or with any mental health condition um but I think people that do that is because that's a group that understands them. Mm. And a lot of the time, like, if you go to someone and say, like, hey, I'm depressed, people are like, oh, like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's awkward mm. on them. Like, yeah. they don't know, no one else say, or like, even if someone said, like, I'm hearing voices, like, people would be like, shit, like, what do I do with that? Mm. But being in a circle of people that can understand what you're saying and relate to you, I guess gives a sense of validation like it's not just me I'm not alone because you don't experience it too mm. um and there could be like real value in that but there also could be problems in that in terms of bouncing off each other's like maybe not so helpful ideas and mm. coping strategies so one of the things that I noticed as well is sometimes in some of these groups if you kind of if you're kind of like trying to be more positive and like trying to get away from that that narrative, like maybe you're saying, "Come, we let's all go out, let's go somewhere, whatever." Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're like reluctant to go with you in it down, like to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and then they're more. So I've so someone I know in particular, he when he was trying to when he was kind of getting over it, sort of thing, and he was kind of trying to get himself together, mm-hmm. he would try and get his other friends to come to different places with him to get them out of the house and stuff and they would just not talk to him anymore they would like not pick up his calls because they felt the pressure that he's always trying to get them to do stuff and then um but when he's feeling low they're talking all the time so it's like Mm. it's almost like it's like a way of being in the group and if you're not being like that then you're not in the group sort of thing i feel like but like correct me if i'm not understanding it properly Mm. but there is like a very thin line between positivity and toxic positivity Mm. in terms of like if someone we're using depression so we're gonna go with depression someone's struggling with depression it is all good and well being like come on let's go out whatever but then also sometimes it can reach a point of like you're not listening Mm. 
Mm. Like I'm sure str- I don't want to go out. I'm struggling. Mm. And masking it and saying like, you know, when people say, oh, like people have it worse or like, you'll be fine. Mm. The- these are not helpful. Do you see what I mean? And there, there is a very fine line between these two. Mm. And so like, and how you've described it, I feel like the friend probably was trying to be really helpful and saying, come out, come out. And that is helpful, but also taking a step back and acknowledging, okay, actually this person, th- this isn't helpful. They don't want to come out. Mm. So w- asking them, what do you need me to do? I think a lot of the time what people do when they know someone's depressed is they do what they think they should do. But you're not asking the person, what do you need me to do? Because a depressed person is not like they just don't know. They know what they want. They know what they need. It's just that they're struggling with this at the moment. But they, they're they probably most likely able to communicate, this is what I want. I Maybe I don't want to go out, but I want you to come around and let's play FIFA. Mm. Like, like, I just want someone's company. I just want to be alone for a bit and then call me in an hour and check up on me. Let's watch a Netflix series together. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But in this situation, it seems like the person's like, come out, come out, come on, get out yeah, of the depression. It probably was one of those ones where yeah. it was, um, where it's just probably was being a bit overbearing to the, uh, other people in the group. Um, I would always just, I wouldn't even, if it was me and mm. like, I, I knew somebody who was, they did. I wouldn't even be trying to get them to come out anyway, because I'm. As I said, I'll just, I'll just deal with my own sort of thing. I'll just, and then hopefully they just eventually want to come out by themselves. Mm. But um, if not, then I'll just leave them to deal with their own struggle because I don't really know how to deal with these sorts of things. I just know that I need to stay focused on what I'm doing. Why don't you just ask them? But then even that, it just feels like a huge undertaking, and that's why I'm saying <laughs> I'm not that empathetic. Like I'm not, I'm not the best at these sorts of things, in it. So I would just. Like my main concern is my like my myself and my missus and then my family and then like the people in the broader community that wanna be part of the thing. Like yeah, that I, 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 I just can't I can't be going out of my way to um only because I'm not good at it. I'm gonna say something that's they're not gonna like and I'm gonna make them worse. So what if you say nothing at all? That's what I do. I don't say anything to them. I just crack on with my. What no, I'm but like in this, <laughs> no, in the sense of you're there and you're not saying anything. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I, I, as I said, I'm not the most empathetic, so I know that what I'm saying is probably like not. No, it's not fine. It, it, I think it's the reflection of mm. actually a lot of people. Mm. It's it's like it's interesting because one in four people struggle with mental health, mm. but I kid you not, most people don't know how to deal with mental health. They're like, fuck knows. Like I don't know what to say. Mm. So. It's like I don't view you like bad. I think most people are like I'm with him. Like I just keep to myself, and when and they, also, come out, they come out, I feel like too much exposure to that negative energy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it will be bad for me. It's like I don't want to have all of that rubbing off of me. That's why I say like your job sounds really hard and really taxing. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like if I was around somebody who everything they say is like Tough. depressive, yeah, and they're just. It's like I can't do that. That's I. It's, I just feel like it's destroying me. Like just the longer I'm around them, so yeah, I think it would be so taxing for me. And that's mm. because I'm not. I I haven't developed those the parts of my character. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I get it. So I haven't even had like begin. I even started to work on those parts of my that character. That's why like you're such an interesting guest because you're like completely other side of it, where you really know how to deal with these sorts of things. Yeah. 
But it's it's a mistake most people make, you know, mm. that no one wants to be depressed and no one wants someone to be depressed because everyone finds it awkward. So they'll be like, come on, come on. Like, we need to get you out of this depression. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's a mistake a lot of people make. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Like, mm. let's do this. Let's do that. Like, just chill. Calm down. Mm. It'll be okay. Um, just ask the person, what do you need from me? And take it from there. Do you think there's a link between um, substance abuse and mental health yes. issues? Because mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot of the people who I know that are struggling with these sorts of things, mm-hmm. they're smoking a lot of weed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I used to smoke a lot of weed as well, yeah. And it, but I stopped um, about a year and a half or a bit longer ago. And um, you just think too much. <laughs> when you're smoking you just think way too much and I, and I think maybe that might be a big cause of it mm. I don't know if people are necessarily able to handle that level of thought like you're just thinking way too much like you're in your own head too yeah, much yeah. Um, have you noticed that with the people that you deal with I have so there are like it's usually we call it drug induced so mm. um, usually I see a lot of people that are, have drug induced psychosis so it's what like does psychosis actually mean. So it's that you're like you might be hearing voices or like hallucinating or mm. like delusional. Um, you might feel something, and actually, most a lot of people go through like a psychotic, and I'm putting it in quotation marks because you know, um, experience in their life. It can literally be things like you know when kids have like an imaginary friend, like that. That is technically like a. I'm not saying they have psychosis, but a psychotic experience of like there is actually no one there but they're talking to someone or you know like i'm not saying like you but some people might hear someone calling their name like it might just have been once in your life like you're you might hear your mum be like shouting your name and you're like yes and she's like i, I didn't call you mm. like these are all the same experiences just what i mean but with someone that's diagnosed with psychosis it's like distressing in their life it's, it's constant and it happens all the time and with drug-induced psychosis, it's that um, they've taken drugs and now this is this has gotten worse, right? But how I view it, and I view it in a very like more trauma-informed way, is what was going on for them to be taking the drugs for them to have the psychosis. Mm. I don't believe the drugs alone caused the psychosis, but obviously I, the drugs did like is is a big contributing factor do you see what i mean like for example weed you know you're in your head you're thinking a lot thoughts are racing but also there would have had to been a lot of stress around that for you to have now ended up with psychosis Mm. to the point like you're unwell Mm. um but drugs do play a big part in mental health Mm. but usually because it's used in a way of coping with the problem originally rather than that the person's okay and they just smokes a little bit and boof, like they've got mental health problems. It's usually that they were struggling. They had drugs. Now they have a worse mental health. Mm. My experience with it was, I was fairly sad Mm -hmm. at the time when I first started smoking, but it was more to do with like, I think boredom. It's like I had, um, Mm -hmm. I was, I was fairly sad, but like, not like extremely sad. Yeah, I got it. and I was quite bored. Yeah. So I had a lot of spare time mm-hmm. where it was like I was by myself and just smoking just made the time like feel yeah. not so boring and not so I didn't have to dwell on negative things that mm-hmm. had happened. 
But what happened is after doing it for so long, it becomes like an addiction where it's like you just even if if you ever don't have it, you start feeling like you need it. It's mm-hmm. like you feel like there's like a chemical imbalance or something in your body yeah. where you just you need it. And then um, then it starts becoming a thing where it's like you get angry when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. You um, I don't know. You can't just have a general conversation with anybody you just you're always thinking mm-hmm. oh when when can i be done with the conversation so i can smoke again yeah, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff um and then i think you also it, because you think so deeply about things there's a lot of like things in the world that like make you think a lot like so one of the things that i've noticed is um a lot of people who smoke a lot of weed are into conspiracy theories and stuff. Oh, yeah. Because it's like... <laughs> <Who> is that? <laughs> <yeah>. Why? <laughs> I just think it's... You're just thinking so deeply about everything. <laughs> and it's like... All of those sorts of things, yeah, can just make it where you don't know what's reality anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know... Even if some of these things, yeah, maybe it's true, yeah. Some of these conspiracies, they might be true, but... Does it really matter? It's like, but it feels like it matters so much. And then it's like, that's why I think it just, it makes people go a bit crazy. I think, so you have to think of it as like a cycle. And as humans, like at the end of the day, whatever you do, humans are just trying to survive. Mm. Like, even if we're going back to when you were saying about the cavemen and like all of that, we're just trying to survive here. Do you Mm. know what I mean? So in that sense, like if we're thinking of the cycle, it's like, I'm feeling a bit sad. I found um, a coping strategy, mm. whether it's great or not. I found something that's going to make me feel less sad, mm. but it makes me think better. Mm. So now I'm probably starting to, there's a word called ruminate, which is like, you're just in your thoughts and thoughts are going around because mm. you just keep thinking about the one thing you're thinking about, which is now making me more sad. But then I'm going to smoke because that smoking is going to stop me from feeling sad. Then I think more, I ruminate, I feel sad. And this cycle just keeps going. But the problem is, is because with people that like take drugs or whatever, that is their coping strategy, but they don't understand that in this cycle, it's actually making it worse. You're going back round, you're going back round, you're going to be back at the beginning. Mm. Um, And that's what's making it, yeah, like a worse situation. Whereas if you were sad, then you spoke to a therapist or you were sad, you spoke to your girlfriend, you were sad, you were like, I don't know you started exercising because a lot of people find that like therapeutic mm. you wouldn't have the space to think loads mm. ruminate and get back to being sad because it would have stopped there do you mm. know what i mean yeah but it's all about people's like coping strategies um and yeah that's that's kind of how we end up in this cycle mm. of like it's just getting worse and worse and worse yeah and i think part of the cycle as well is that when you smoke a lot of weed you you think a lot Mm-hmm. but you don't do a lot like you're quite lazy you're like some people are going to get mad and say oh i smoke and i'm not lazy no, but whatever <laughs> but the point is me personally i'm only talking about my experiences mm-hmm. i there was things i wanted to do that i was just putting off yeah, i just hard. kept on putting things off because it was like i was just smoking like all the time and it mm-hmm. was like i i didn't so for example this show mm-hmm. i started it about like just over a year ago mm-hmm. I had the idea about four or five years ago. So it's like, I wanted to do it from back then, but I was just putting things off all the time. Yeah. And um, 
who's to say how far how, how far down the road it would have been by now mm-hmm. had I not been procrastinating so much yeah. and it wasn't just it wasn't just things like that it was also things like there'll be some issue that's uh, that's that happened in my life mm-hmm. and where I would just like want to deal with it mm-hmm. I just wouldn't deal with it and it would just get worse and worse and worse yeah have you heard the story of um the dragon um it was like I'm I'm just going to tell tell the story quite quickly yeah but mm-hmm. it's basically um there's some kid some little boy and yeah. his mum and dad um live in his house to, with him and he basically sees a dragon in it mm-hmm. a little tiny baby dragon and he tells his mum oh there's a dragon in the house and then the mum's like dragons don't exist so leave it uh, like stop talking about it. I don't want to hear about it and then he said but I can see it it's right there and she's like there's no dragons they don't exist and then, long story short, yeah, this goes on for ages, yeah. For, yeah. And then every time, every day, the dragon gets a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And the mom just keeps on saying she can't see it. And then eventually, the dragon is so big that it destroys the house. And then the boy says to the mom, can you see this dragon? And she's like, fair enough. Yeah, I can <laughs> see it. Like, the house is destroyed. Like, I see the dragon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I kind of butchered the story. There's no, but I'm much, getting but the point. Yeah, the point is that when you don't deal with issues, they just get bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. bigger. It's like um, bills. Like, imagine you've got a bill that come in and you should have paid it, but now it's, like, tripled and it's just, it's so much, like, the price, the, the amount that you would have paid in the beginning was so much smaller than the amount you now have to pay. Yeah. And there's people knocking on your door for this uh, bill to be paid. Mm-hmm. And it's just because you've ignored it. It's because you haven't dealt with it when it came, when it first presented itself. Yeah. And that was what I was doing with life, basically. Loads of things were happening in life Mm -hmm. and I just wasn't dealing with it. I was allowing it to just get pushed (coughs) back. And I think those sorts of things happen when you have these addictions as well. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then that makes you more depressed. Because things are just getting worse and worse and worse as opposed to things getting better. So personally... Like I had to stop. Like I just, I'm, I'm glad that I stopped. Yeah, and I would advise that anyone who has them same problems, mm-hmm. they should stop as well. Yeah. Obviously, some people are functional. They're able to mm-hmm. do what they, do whatever they want, and it doesn't affect them. They're still super productive and doing really well. But me, it was really affecting me. So that's that was part of the cycle in my in my experience. It was like I would smoke, think a lot, not do a lot. Things mm-hmm. would get worse. I would mm-hmm. smoke and then it would just then go around and around and around. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so I had to stop. But even stopping was really hard because when I stopped, I started drinking to balance it out. Mm-hmm. Now I've stopped drinking as well. But it's like these addictions, are. I feel like they're, they can lead to loads of mental issues where you start going crazy. Yeah, definitely. Because they are unhealthy coping strategies. But they serve yep. their purpose for a bit of time because... Mm. You've done it for a reason and it stopped the first, like the first thing that was going on, mm. except now it creates the rest of the cycle. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So I feel like that is the problem with drinking with drugs is that yes, it can help. I'm not taking that away, but then it maintains the cycle. Mm. So, yeah. Would you say there's anything else that brings like that brings on this, these sorts of issues? Stress. Okay. Um, stress is like a really big one. Um, and I see it across, yeah, like I said, like people that are poorer, people that are richer. Um, stress and trauma are like really big things. Mm. Um, and also childhood experiences. Like, don't quote me exactly on the statistics, but I believe it's 
if you've had like four or five childhood adverse childhood experiences you are like more likely to have mental health issues when you're older Mm. so that's things like you know poverty divorce in your family like racism all this kind of thing that is like you're more likely to struggle with your mental health when you're an adult um so yeah these are the kind of things so like yeah drugs so unhelpful unhealthy coping strategies and that usually is in the form of like drink drugs like maybe even people sleeping around like there's loads of different unhealthy coping strategies is one um adverse childhood experiences so what has happened in your childhood now affecting you now Mm. and stress and trauma that is like that's a big one Mm. okay is there people who haven't had any of these experiences that are still struggling with mental health yeah, there's, there are people that will struggle with their mental health that haven't had these experiences. But in my, where I work, I've never come across that. Mm. So it is one of these factors that have yeah. caused it most of the time. Yeah. These sorts of things will make anybody feel like a bit off their square sort of thing. A bit yeah. like, and then it's just a case of how do you deal with it once you're feeling. So these things have happened. They they do affect a human being. Mm-hmm. But do does that human being reject that those influences and then just pursue their whatever it is their goal or their life or do they just dwell in it sort of thing? But that's the point. It's that pe- some people haven't learned how to deal with that situation. You could have the exact same situation and one person might react to it differently to the other person. Mm. But it's about how you learn how to cope with the situation, which a lot of people like. We don't speak about mental health in schools or anything. Mm. Like, especially within, like, BAME communities. What does that mean? Oh, black um, and Asian okay. minority people. Um, yeah, we don't speak about, like, mental health and things like that. So imagine for a lot of communities, they go through all this stuff and don't know how to deal with it. Like, it's like if I was brought to where you work and I was given all these tools, I'd be like, shit, like, what happens now? Do you know what I mean? Like, you're mm. given all this stuff and you don't know what to do with it. Of course, that's going to lead to something going a bit left or do you know what I mean? Whereas if we were taught how to deal with it and we go through all this stuff, then that's like, okay, I've been dealt these cards, but I know how to play them. I know what to do. You see what I mean? But a lot of people don't know what to do because we're not taught that. Yeah. Do you think it should be introduced into schools as like a a class or something? Yeah, definitely. Like the biggest disability in the world is depression. Like... That definitely should be, like, if one in four people, like, imagine you're just, that's, like, a whole quarter of your classroom in school are or will struggle with their mental health. Like, a quarter of your colleagues, like, a quarter of your family, like, that's crazy. That's so many people, but yet, like, none of us know what to do. Mm. We would all be like, oh, oh, no, what happens? Like, treading on eggshells we don't know what to say or how to deal with this. Mm. This definitely needs to be a thing that is, like, spoken about through from childhood to adulthood how do i deal with this because this is going to be something that's going to affect me whether it's me personally or someone around me like we, we all know more than four people <laughs> one of them mm. will struggle statistically i've heard this um like somebody say this yeah but i don't know if like if this is true or uh it'd be interesting to hear what you think about it but mm-hmm. have you ever heard when people say stuff like back in the day there was no such thing as adhd Ugh. but Yes, they were just like they just didn't like diagnose it. They, but the people were still the same sort of people, but they just weren't. There wasn't a name for it. 
Um, do you I, feel the same way about one? One, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And also, do you feel the same way about like depression? Do you think people have always dealt with these sorts of like mental health issues, mm-hmm. but only now it's that there's names for it and ways of dealing with it? I think well, with it, I think that there are we're in the middle in terms of people did have depression anxiety like adhd like autism all of this stuff and they just didn't know what it was we know what it is now but i do also believe and this is my own views <laughs> don't come for all of psychologists that there are now a bit too many diagnostic criterias for mental health what like does that mean so for example um there is a diagnosis called EUPD and it stands for emotionally unstable personality disorder. And I just feel like I don't love this. Like why, why do we have to diagnose someone and tell them they're emotionally unstable with a personality disorder? Like, and to be diagnosed with that, you have to have gone through a considerable, a considerable amount of trauma before you, you have that diagnosis. So instead of diagnosing someone with that, why can't we just look at the trauma that they went through rather than, do you get what I mean? And I feel like now in society, there is so many different diagnoses out there. Like there is, it's like, I think it's something like 500 and something different like mental health conditions. And I feel like that's a lot. Like, did we need to label everything? Like sometimes we don't need a label for stuff. We just need to understand why that person's going through that thing, what they're going through and help them go through it. We don't need to be like, this is what it is. And I, f- I do feel like that's a struggle in mental health today. But I also am grateful for that we now know what certain things are. Do you have to get a diagnosis to get treatment? Um, no, you don't have to get a diagnosis to get treatment. But in the NHS, it, I mean, I, only, I work in acute, so I can't speak for like what it's like in the community. Maybe you don't. But when you're in hospital, yes, like... For example, I have a service user or patient, whatever, that ha- that is diagnosed with EUPD. Um, and that is the only way that I can refer her to get DBT, which is called dialectal behavioral therapy in the community. If she's not diagnosed with EUPD, I can't refer her to get DBT, which is crazy because someone has to give her a diagnosis just for the help that she needs rather than just giving her the help that she needs. So... In some aspects, depending on where you work, like your trust, yes. But also, obviously, if you used to go to a private therapist or maybe in the community, like, you might not need to be, like, diagnosed with depression. Mm. I don't know how that one works, but, yeah. Is there any, like, negative effects to giving someone a diagnosis? Like, so, do you ever find that when somebody gets a diagnosis, they feel like, oh, well, all hope is lost because this is what I am now, rather than they feel like they could just be like back to normal sort yeah of thing. i do think like sometimes it takes away hope from people mm. or like for example things like schizophrenia and psychosis and stuff that's like when people hear that a lot of people lose hope they're mm. like whereas when they were going through the situation they were going through maybe they had this like anomalous experience they felt something or they saw something or whatever and it was like oh that was weird but now you're telling me i have psychosis and when you watch movies, you know, you see people in their white jackets and people with psychosis are running around the street and killing everyone. Mm. That that takes hope away from people. That's like, something's really wrong with me now. Do you see what I mean? Mm. 
So sometimes diagnoses aren't aren't helpful. Mm. They are in terms of like sometimes for professionals. Like I know generally if someone has this EUPD, for example, it's likely that DBT would be helpful for them. But also for that person, it might not be helpful. Or like to be diagnosed with yeah emotionally unstable personality disorder. Like imagine someone saying that to you. Like that that's not helpful. Yeah. So maybe, maybe yeah. it should only be for professionals. Like and then the patient actually doesn't know no. what it is. All they know is that they've got treatment that they have to do. Yeah, but I guess that's like, you know, holding holding withholding their information and all this kind of stuff. I feel like there would be a lot of politics behind it. Mm. Um, yeah, it yeah. sounds very tricky. Like it sounds like quite a complicated thing. So to the argument that people have always had these sorts of things but they just mm-hmm. wasn't labels for it yeah and people just got on with it mm-hmm. would you say that they were just that's not a good solution yeah i don't think that's a good solution mm. because i feel like in order for things to be equal like let's say we have someone that's um dyslexic for example mm. and then we've all got a test that's written black and white paper do the test and that dyslexic person fails it's nothing to do with their intelligence. They might just be just as smart as the next person, but it wasn't tailored to the way that they can learn, so they couldn't pass that test. If we all were just like, oh, I don't know what dyslexia is, so like you just failed, then we failed that person. Mm. But if now we know what dyslexia is, and it's like we need to be taught, um, like, I don't know, someone's telling me, like speaking to me, or like I, I'm better with audio or... I'm better with coloured paper or I just need a little bit more time, but my intelligence is the same as another person that then creates equal opportunity because we understand what that is. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why it's good. I have seen people who they use like a diagnosis Mm -hmm. as an excuse for everything. So particularly with ADHD, Mm -hmm. it's like I've seen people be like, proper arseholes about everything here and then like they're just being so unreasonable and like um just being really like aggressive or really just so unreasonable and they always say oh but i've got adhd so you can't blame me Mm. but sometimes it's like you like you're 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 just still a person like you don't have to be going on like this i get that i do Mm. but i feel like Maybe if we view it in the way of, it's not an excuse, mm. but it's an explanation. Does that make sense? So, mm. you, like, they're explaining their actions. We're not excusing it, but this is why I do X, Y, Z. And I and like, yes, I need more support to learn not to be whatever that they're doing, but this is just the reason why. Mm. But isn't ADHD just you can't pay attention to things properly? Yeah, it's like you struggle um, to pay attention. So there's like ADHD and then there's ADD. So the one with the H is that like you ha- you're you very hyper. So usually it's easier to detect ADHD in boys than it is in girls. Girls are more likely to, to mask it. Girls are very like undiagnosed with ADHD. But now there's also ADD, which is like ADHD, but without the hyper element of it. Mm. So it might be that, you know, you get a kid in school and they're just like this or... You know, they're looking out the window and the teacher's like, oh, you're not listening. Mm. But it's because they really are struggling not to listen rather than that they just don't give a shit about what you're talking about. Mm. Whereas people that have ADHD, where they're hyper and they're bouncing around, the teacher's like, this kid, 
they're more likely to be diagnosed because it's like something must be wrong with you because you're bouncing off the walls. Do you see what mm. I mean? Um, so yeah. Yeah. So, but both of those things don't sound like they are synonymous with being unreasonable. Just maybe you're just not paying attention. Not, yeah, but you have to think about how difficult it would be to. I'm not saying for every like I can't speak for all ADHD mm. people, but how difficult it would be for us to see like for someone that is that doesn't have ADHD things might seem reasonable but for someone that does have ADHD reasonable might not be the same thing do you see what Mm. I mean if I don't pay attention to it like then it's gonna hard it's gonna be hard for me to be like reasonable in your eyes because you're paying attention to things that I'm not Mm. do you see what I mean it's like like it's different like different ways of thinking i don't know how to explain it but reasonable is not like it's like common sense you know like there's things and you're like well that was common sense like why didn't no one pick that up but common sense actually isn't just a thing that everybody has the same common sense do you see what i mean mm. and i guess it's the same for being like reasonable like this person with adhd might think that they their actions are reasonable mm. and then someone might be, be like the hell like it's not mm. so it kind of it depends. I mean, it depends on what they're doing. Like, you know, if they're going around chucking bricks at people, then no, like, overall, that's not reasonable. But I guess it depends on context. Mm, I hear you. Do you think that the whole thing with the pandemic um, and yeah. people being stuck at home and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, do you think that that made mental health worse for a oh, lot of it people? Did. It did, it did. Um, I believe the caseload went up by 180% or something like that. Oh, man. Uh, we literally do not have beds for the amount of people that are um on our waiting list sorry i got the hiccups um it's awful it like in it's awful like i don't think mental health caseload has ever been so big until the pandemic and after what do you think it was about the pandemic that caused such a rise in cases i guess like we're social beings like we're meant to be out there and we're not like so that's one the social aspects of it you know like people weren't going to work people lost their jobs like people in poverty stress like i know a lot of there was a lot of like marriage breakups and stuff like the whole uh like just the whole thing was really really hard for people and then also like what i was saying about ruminating like you know sitting with your thoughts imagine being stuck at home no one could come and visit you it's just you you live by yourself. Now you're just away with the thoughts, like, and it's just going around in your mind. Like, mm. people really struggled with that. Yeah, for real. Yeah, I was quite lucky. Um, I was able to carry on working, and um, was you considered a key worker as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. So I was still working. Mm. Yeah, so it was. I think it was a little bit easier for everyone who was able to work. Yeah, because you still got to go out and do and somewhat socialize. Mm, yeah. Yeah. With your colleagues and and somewhat like normality yeah. i don't know yeah yeah it was um it was a strange time man it seemed to seemed to be forever as well mm. it's just like going on for forever. a really long time mm. and it was like and it also like i guess the thought of knowing if you catch this thing called covid like you could die mm. that's that's scary in itself yeah. worrying about like you know your elderly family worrying about yourself worrying about people that are like unwell catching this mm. i just think there was just lots going on in that time and it was it was bad 
For real. It's like a good thing it's over now. Hopefully it never comes back. Thank God. Mm, <laughs> for real. We're getting close right to the end now. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything you want to promote? Any Maybe something to help people who are struggling with a lot of the issues we've spoken about? Maybe a website or... Yeah, like so that. I have um, a mental health website and it's www.mentalandme.org. I have a mental health Instagram, which is at mentalandme with an underscore. And I have a mentalandme TikTok, which is just at mentalandme. Cool. Do you have any advice as well before you guys are... Uh, Follow me? No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely. All of the stuff will be in the description as yeah, well. Yeah, no, for that's fine. Anyone who wants to I guess the one advice I would say is if you can to try not to struggle alone like even if you don't go to you know the samaritans or the point of um access or call 999 or whoever just tell someone anyone like it could be a colleague it could be a friend it could be just anyone but just you don't have to struggle by yourself you can share this struggle and like things will get better from just that one share mm. yeah that's my my one Girl, advice i definitely appreciate you coming man i feel like we got a lot of value from this conversation i hope I the hope audience so. <laughs> um gets a lot of value from it i know a lot of people are struggling with these issues as well so mm-hmm. yeah, really appreciate you coming through and yeah definitely um i'll be subscribing to all of your stuff as well Thanks. and hopefully yeah anyone in the audience will check it out as well yeah because it's just a good resource to have mm-hmm. and um, i have free resources on my website as well so download them for free all right thank you it was yeah it was a pleasure thanks to the audience as well thank you that's a wrap P2P, 5P, 10P, 20P, 50P, changed on annoying me. One pound, two pound, five pound, ten pound, twenty pound, fifty pound. These are my employees, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, yeah. I just make Elizabeth work. I just make Elizabeth work, work, work. Where my money at? Let me dial up management. Who's going in and who the fuck's panicking? Who's maybe P and who the fuck lost P? If I fire man, that could be costly. You know, I always make the pattern run properly. I got white money and it talks Cockney. I got black money and it talks Patwa. Why the fuck would I want my money stacked up? I see money, I can't let it be statue. I'm an entrepreneur in a tracksuit. When your money works hard, you don't have to. She got dank body and it's all natural. But I'm still only trying to get the peas, bitch. You got dead P, hit it with the D fridge. It's a game full of snakes and leeches. Damn Fuck right. school, they ain't never gonna teach this. Never. Fuck broke, I'd rather turn evil. When I'm hungry, you be looking like treacle. Give me tunnel vision on my prey like eagle. I got a pit in the whip looking regal. Just in case I ever got a ducker man down. Dealing with the penny, same way I do pounds. Dealing with the pounds, same way I do racks. Aiming for a billion, I ain't going back. When I hit the club, it's return of the Mac. I'm looking for a hustler, 30 collab. Trap queen title, where you worthy of that? There's a lot of hot chicks, but I'm never that gas. I don't know love. Only know about cash I know about economy I know about tax I want to dominate Not race with the rats Look, I can't hear shit If it ain't about 1p, 2p, 5p, 10p, 20p, 50p Changed on annoying me 1 pound, 2 pound, 5 pound, 10 pound, 20 pound, 50 pound These are my employees, yeah I just make Elizabeth work I just make Elizabeth work, yeah I just make Elizabeth work I just make Elizabeth work, work, work